When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season one of Sharp Objects and joining us to do that this week is our friend Hannah Dallas. Hello, Hannah. Hi, Brad. Hi, Damask. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us on the episode this week. Um, Before we start, just give us a little bit of a background, sort of your background with TV and film and so forth. You've done a little bit of study. Yeah, a few years ago now, but I did a Bachelor of Screen and Cultural Studies. Um, So that involved a lot of looking at genre and basically watching a lot of film and TV and loving it. Basically, Hannah is way smarter than we are. Is going to have much more informed opinions than us. Oh, I'm not interested in informed opinions. I just want total ignorance. Let's not set the expectations (laughs) too high. Do you have like a favorite television series, one you return to a lot or? Look, Parks and Rec is my comfort food. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be said. One of us. One of us. (laughs) That's probably not an accident if I hang out with you guys a bit. Um I don't know. We're re-watching the OC at the moment, which is just... Mm. Yeah, I see your faces and... No, my (laughs) faces. Oh, I want to be doing that. Yeah. That sounds real good. It's a nostalgia trip and it's it's, um, a real family viewing for our household. Yeah. Fun, yeah. Fucking great. Great It's a classic. Great show, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've, I've got a pretty broad range of taste in film and tv highbrow lowbrow i watch it all that includes uh the bachelor at the moment so yeah. oh yeah i'm watching it at the moment okay really yeah. enjoying it. Any, high drama apparently there's some really awful women on that show some like kind of inappropriate maybe even slightly rumors that one at least one is a plant at oh, this point yeah really mm. there you go was there something like really like someone like forced them herself onto the Bachelor or something like that at one stage or was no, a bit inappropriate? I, no, or? she didn't even know. Is Are we talking about the one who had an alleged relationship no, with him beforehand? I, I no, I think seeing... he's talking about the camping episode because it was alluded to like in the promos that that's what was happening. That's not. They were just like lying next to each other looking at the stars. It's so no. This is coming. This no, is, I don't know about this. I don't... I've never watched The Bachelor basically at all, mm-hmm. especially not this series. But I've, I've seen this thing on Twitter about this girl who, like, kissed him on the neck early on or something like that. And obviously, he obviously oh, wasn't Romy. into it. Yeah. yeah. Romy, that's right. Yeah, that- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty full on. Yeah. Okay. It was hilarious. Like, it was, it was <laughs> She's funny. She's the one who's yeah. rumoured to be a plant. Right. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I have to shame on missing yeah. out. On I the hope she's a plant because otherwise she's a sociopath. So. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I've been, I mean, I can't talk. I did watch all of Love Island Australia from start to finish and, uh, 
As did I, as did I. Have you seen... (laughs) I'm really coming across well so far as it just talked about The Bachelor and Love Island. Have you seen that, uh, just to sidetrack for a second, uh, Eden and uh, Aaron have broken up? Yeah. Look, I I knew it was a matter of time. (laughs) It was a matter of how long do we have to do this for until... Exactly. It was still believable. Is this the couple that you always... Well, you wouldn't shut up about every time you talked about... They were the ones I liked for a while, especially because Aaron was just hilarious. And then they... Aiden Aiden particularly went super toxic and then like turned against him very quickly. Oh dear. Anyway, we're already off topic, so Mm. let's just do it formally. Time for off topic, hot topic. Off topic, hot topic. That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off topic, hot topic is our news and views segment where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you'd like to contribute a topic or story to off topic, hot topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. Brian Fuller watched this week. This guy is a freaking ghost now. I don't know what's happened. He's gone underground. He's doing nothing at the Dormant. moment. Dormant. Dormant. D- Dormant right. Even when he is doing something, I feel like he's doing nothing, so that's fine. <laughs> it's consistent with his yeah. brand, at least. I'm really disappointed there's nothing for us to comment on with Brian. I know. He's we like, make this segment. Good old BF. We yeah. put aside a, seg- a period of t- a bit of time for him every episode of this, and he doesn't it's get gonna pay off. One day. It's just going to explode, and yeah. it's going to be huge headlines all the time. You're right. It's a ticking time bomb. All right. Uh, a couple of headlines I want to talk about. Some are... One's interesting and one's less interesting. The f- <laughs> I know, set, setting up real well. The what I just want to put out there for people who are interested, we've obviously done the Good Place season one and two before. Mm-hmm. Season three is coming out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. For those who are interested, the first sort of scene, the first two to three minutes of the first episode are now online. You can finally watch them earlier today. Can't talk about it because it's a massive spoiler if you okay. haven't seen it. Oh. Um, it sort of picks up, goes back a little bit in time from where we got to in the last episode, mm. shows a little bit of like the mechanics of how that works and then sets us up to go forward from there. I have to go check it out. Yeah, definitely. If you're a fan, definitely worth checking out. That's on Entertainment Weekly. Wait, um, when does the actual new season drop though? It, the new season starts with an hour-long premiere on September 27th on NBC in the US and we would presume for those in other um, sort of regions, it'll come soon after. In Australia, we've been getting it, I think, episode by episode on Netflix, pretty yeah, much in yeah. line with the US. So it'll be 27th, 28th, I'd expect to see mm-hmm. that episode or probably two episodes um, drop at that stage. Um, the other headline I want to talk about quickly. The less interesting one? No, this is the more interesting one, oh. I thought. <laughs> I, I think so. You may disagree. All right. Uh, okay. Chris- Christopher Nolan and Paul Thomas Anderson launched new offensive in the war on shitty TV settings. Um, this story, it's a little, it's a pretty quick one. I'll go through it very quickly. This comes from Sam Basanti from the AB Club. According to Slash Film, who the original article's from, but this one's a bit briefer, members of the Directors Guild of America recently received an email that says Christopher Nolan and Paul Thomas Anderson have reached out to television manufacturers to try and open up a dialogue between the two parties, with Nolan and Anderson specifically taking issue with the fact that most TVs default to the motion smoothing settings. Now, do you know what that means, motion smoothing settings? Not really. Have you ever gone into like a JB Hi-Fi and, the, uh, and it looks yeah. like um, there's more frames in it. It looks smoother. It looks kind of like almost like, you know how soap operas look like yeah, that? Yeah, Bold and Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some people call it the sort of the soap opera effect or the soap oh, opera setting. The, I remember. No, no, mind. Go on. No, no. You, you, what was that? 
I just remember watching, was it The Hobbit? Yes. And thinking that it looked like the look of that really yeah, bothered awful. me. So The Hobbit was, um, it was 3D. I think it might, I want to say it was HDR or something as well. Maybe not. But it definitely had, you could see screens where it was 48 frames per second mm. instead of the standard 24 frames. Yeah, because mm. I didn't see it in 3D because right. of that. And so a lot of people complained that, that it looked fake because of that. Yeah, mm. it was thi- hyper real. Hyper real, right? Yeah. And so... The thing that the cinematic experience, the 24 frames, tends to do is it tends to... Um, it ha- it's a look that we're used to from seeing it that way. It's actually not proper smooth motion, but mm. we've become accustomed to it. And it kind of hides detail. So, the more frames you have, the easier it is to pick up detail in it. Yeah. And so, when you put those frames in, all of a sudden, makeup and costumes and stuff look faker because that filter of the 24 frames r- rather than the 48 or the 60 frames isn't there. Right. And so a lot of people complained that mm. it just they hated the look of it because they weren't used to it first and foremost, but then it made it look faker as well, which is so a really weird Chris's thing. So Chris's beef? Chris's beef <laughs> is that Chris is, Christopher Nolan's beef is constantly that he's all... Because he shoots on film, right? Yeah, he wants that. He wants that specific film I mean, <laughs> sort of look. That's his thing. Is he So is he proposing that people shoot on film or continue on digital? No, he's, he's, I, I think he'd like to see people shoot on film. But yeah. what he's more worried about, and this will go into it now, is that TVs are often automatically set to a function which actually adds in frames. It calculates in between frames and makes it look like there's more frames than there actually are. Okay. So I'll, I'll go through the rest of the article. The goal is to show the TV makers that a lot of directors truly hate when motion smoothing does what motion smoothing does to their work. So, Nolan Anderson and Terminator 3 director Jonathan Mosto, never heard of him, have put together a survey for DGA members to break down the ideal TV settings. Slashed Film has a few excerpts from the survey, and it looks like it includes the sort of leading questions you'd expect to see in something like this. The main theme seems to be something like, how important is it to you that your work isn't um, butchered by ugly TV settings? <laughs> The survey also proposes a few solutions, including introducing TVs that can automatically detect whether motion smoothing is appropriate, a single button on remotes in order to disable it. I like that one. Um, or making the uh, the option not buried too deeply in the menus, uh, uh, end quote. This really reminds me of, I saw a meme. I'm going to talk about memes. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I think I sent it to you, Brod. And it's a picture of like an iPod Nano with uh, Dunkirk on it. And the caption was just watching... Dunkirk the way Christopher Nolan intended. So do, you, <laughs> like, do you know where that meme comes from though? Yeah, yeah. His whole yeah, thing Yeah, because he's is, such a stickler for it. Yeah, he's all about seeing... Dunkirk was meant to be seen on the biggest screen possible. It yeah. was shot on IMAX stock, a lot of it. Go see it on a big screen with proper sound. Go see it at the sound. And so people just love putting it on the smallest, worst screen possible. And just like, <laughs> just like Christopher Nolan intended. So he's a big stickler for this stuff. But mm. as someone who has bought a TV recently um, and loves my television... I just had to. I've had some problems with it recently. I've had to reset it. Isn't that great? And everything went back to smooth to motion smoothing straight away. It's so frustrating to have to go and every ind- individual channel turn this off. Mm. And it is buried like three or four menus deep. And so there are so all these people. I didn't even know it was. I've never even heard of this thing if before. Going to like a JB Hi-Fi or a Harvey Norman or whatever, and mm. half of them will have it on just by default. Right. And yeah. you'll see it. You'll look at it and go, "That looks smoother than a normal." Right. Uh, it works really well. I think it works well with animated films. They yeah. actually comes across pretty well, but often with live action stuff, it looks cheap and fake. And I'm controversially of the opinion that we will get used to it. That actually could be the better format, but I also understand that directors want it. 
You know, if they filmed it a specific way, it shouldn't have to be a fight yeah. with your television to make it look, look like I that either. Appreciate that. Yeah. So if you believe that it could possibly be the better format and we'll get used to it, why did you change it on your TV? Um, because this is the way the directors wanted it and that's how they want me to see it. <laughs> when, so oh, with, I see. So you with, do what you told. Got it. The thing with The Hobbit, right, is mm. that Peter Jackson specifically filmed it to have that look. Mm. And J- uh, James Cameron has been someone who's talked about trying to do 48 or 60 frames per second yeah. as well. Um, they're trying to lead the technology in that direction. Mm-hmm. But if that's not how a film was meant to be seen, then no. you're getting a different version of that film. Yeah, yeah. Um, great if, the, if I'm watching The Hobbit, not great if I'm watching The Dark Knight, basically. Fair enough. Mm. Okay, cool. <laughs> I went and saw um, Crazy Rich Asians the other day and Ooh. absolutely loved it. It was, it was good. so much fun. So what? Tell, tell me about Crazy Rich Asians. I don't know the background all that well. It's based on a book, isn't it? Sure, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty sure that's right. Hannah's brought the research. Yeah, I've brought the research. Um, No, I I love rom-coms. And look, it's been a pretty derided slash deceased genre for a while, Mm. I think. And it's just fun to be able to go to the movies and like enjoy a rom-com and have a good time. And one that's like different as well. Like it's a story that you haven't necessarily heard before and great to hear from you know, people of colour and for it to be a movie which like I think there are only maybe three people, white people in the in the cast compared to like the whole cast at, um, being Asian, which was fantastic. Mm. So it was a big push when it first released. There were people who were like buying out cinemas to try and like get some traction behind this film, like mm. give their tickets to friends and stuff like that. And get yeah, them there's watching been it. a big social media push, that's for sure. And what was insane was in its first weekend, I'm, I'm going to not get the numbers 100% right, I haven't looked at them in a while, but it made something close to between 50 and $100 million its opening weekend, mm-hmm. which it's not meant to do because it's a rom-com basically. Mm. What was really insane was the drop-off from week one to week two was less than 10%. Wow. Which is you never, yeah, ever see. Awesome. That is, I think yeah, the last film to do it was like that. Avatar or something like that. Mm. Like, Really? Yeah. And so it's going to be a movie that cost not that much really and probably had a lot of financial backing from um, international markets and stuff like that that's going to make 200 300 maybe more million dollars. That's a rom-com that's huge. Mm-hmm. And also is great because it is an Asian sort of uh, centered yeah. movie that and like Black Panther earlier this year as well just shows that these demographics want Movies that have that has representation of themselves in it. and of diaspora and of identity. Exactly. I mean, all- as a white person, I feel attacked <laughs> by all of these stats. <laughs> um, I refuse to say it. No, I'm joking. But even the vibe of the audience in the cinema, it was great. Like everyone was having a great time. Mm. It was audible. The things that people were responding to. Yeah, and that's so much fun. Have I you go on? Sorry. Everyone that I've spoken to that have seen it, like everyone loves it. I yeah. haven't heard a bad thing thus far, so I should probably go check it yeah, out. Yeah, go check it out. Have you guys heard about um, there was another movie rom-com that came out recently on Netflix, All the Boys I've Loved Before? Yeah, I've seen that as you well. You saw the movie? Yeah. So that was interesting because they sort of came out on similar times. A lot of people were talking about that being like a return to that sort of teen rom-com yeah. side of things. It was similar to 10 Things I Hate About You and stuff like that. Oh, and has no, I don't know. I don't know. It hasn't been the that same sacrilege, no. but, you know, And also the... <laughs> Asian lead in that as well, which is pretty unconventional for a story like that. Certainly, yeah. And it's doing pretty well from what I understand. A lot of people seem to really like it. Yeah, it's getting a lot of, you know, lock, sort of... I think 10 things... Wait, did you say... Ha- wait, yeah, 10 things I heard about you. Yes. I always get like, how is a guy in 10 days and 10 things I heard oh, about you mixed up? <laughs> I'm sorry, Different. I love both those films. Oh, whoa, equally? 
no. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, 10 Things I Hate About You is an amazing film. Yeah. That's it's, a little, that's something about overselling a little bit. Uh, it is not. It is a, not actually. It is not. I mean, I own it. It's I have it on DVD. I think number one is Clueless plan. for film adaptation. Mm. Okay. Maybe two or three 10 Things I Hate About You is on the list of the, film it's adaptations. It's right up there. It's right up there. It's for, really good. For film adaptations of Taming of the Shrew. No, the, just for like a book to film. Of ten, oh, was there a book of 10 Things I Hate About You? I didn't know that. No, yeah, it's by a guy called Shakespeare. Yeah, you heard oh, of him? That's Have what you I mean. Taming of the Shrew. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> oh, I see what we're saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, um, sure. Okay. It's a great film. And the reviews I've seen of what, what's the name of the other one that we just spoke? All the boys. All the boys. Have, to, to all not the boys quite to the same standard, but still, I'm glad it's doing well. But it's have you you saw it? I've I've watched many a clip of it. I started <laughs> watching it. And I was like, I think I might be too old. I which is devastating to find out. But I told my niece, who's mm. between ten and twelve years old, mm. maybe eleven. Yeah. Um, this she'd love this film. This is a film for her for sure. See, my favourite Shakespeare adaptation is always going to be The Lion King. Adaptation of Hamlet. Fantastic. Um, I only had one other thing I wanted to talk about. And this is... Excuse my memory might suffer here a little bit because I watched this like a month and a half ago now. But I got to see The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Are you guys aware of this film at all? I am aware, yes. Yes. It's got Adam Driver. It does, Mm. yes. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote is a 2018 adventure comedy film directed by Terry Gillum and written by Gillum and Tony Grissoni. Loosely based on the novel Don Quixote by Miguel de... Cervantes. Whoops. Exactly is, how you say I'm it. I'm sure it is. It is widely recognized as one of the most in- infamous examples of development hell in film history. With Gilli- hasn't it been like being made for about 15 years or something? Or longer. With Gilliam unsuccessfully attempting to make the film many times over in the span of 29 years. It's a little Whoa. bit more than 15, yeah. So I got to see it at uh, so the So he Melbourne started like trying to make it when I was born. Basically. Yeah. yeah. That's wow. And there's a very famous documentary that you, I highly recommend everyone tries to track down and watch. It's hard to get to. It's not on any streaming services I'm aware of. Called Lost in La Mancha. Uh-huh. And it's about an attempt he made to make this movie and sort of... It, yes. I watched that with our old housemate, Lauren. It is yeah. the best. It's, it's so really good. good. It's just... Sort of disaster artist oh, Well, not in the, not necessarily in the sense that they're doing anything wrong. It's just all that... Like, he is a director is... You know, he knows what he's doing. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of professionals on this. It's not, it's not to do with them. It's just everything that can go wrong mm. does go wrong. Yeah, so the circumstances are falling it, around. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just this... It's watching this thing fall apart bit by bit. And I think that, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it because it's better to just watch it and see it all. Sort of watch that house of cards being yeah. stacked and mm. then to watch them fall is kind of exhilarating and is it heartbreaking. Though? Yeah, it's, it's really sad. But what's the happy ending is that I think 15 years after that attempt, he's finally made this movie. Um, and it was all right. <laughs> that was the. <laughs> this is the thing. Oh, that that is not what you want no, after twenty nine years. This is what's really interesting about That's it. All right. it, it's it got. Uh, I think it might have been Cairns earlier this year at one of the film festivals. It was had been made and it was going to premiere there. And then all of a sudden there was this like big rights scandal about who actually owned the rights to it. And it looked like it wasn't going to get shown there. It was like the curse continued. He'd finally finished the movie, but maybe we would never be able to see the thing. That's heartbreaking. They did premiere it there and it's since made it to a few film festivals. God knows if it's going to make it out to a wide release. It might end up like straight to Netflix or something for 
most people. Did um, you see it at MIF? I saw it at MIF, yeah. yeah. That, and so as soon as the MIF thing came out, it was there. It was like, mm. bought my ticket instantly. Sure. Just because I got to see this film that this guy's been trying to make for 30 years. Yeah. Um, and if you've seen any, any other of Gilliam's films, um, no. uh, what's his most famous ones? The Imaginarium of Dr. Panassas is one of them. Um, I think he did... Oh, he did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I think he did 12 Monkeys as well. Okay. He's... He's weird. He's a weird, quote unquote, director. He plays yeah. with time and imagery and dreamlike stuff like that. And mm-hmm. he, that is very much a part of this, of this film as well. Um, that stuff's all great. He's really imaginative. It's full of energy. Adam Driver's fantastic. Um, Jonathan Price is excellent as well. Their work's fantastic. It just kind of, because it's a passion project, I imagine he didn't want to cut anything. No. And it's like, it almost feels like three or four movies in one and it starts in one place, it transitions into another, it then transitions again and then transitions again. And you like, this needed to be one or two films less or at least being trimmed down a bit. There's a sequence I remember maybe two thirds of the way in. I was like, this is starting to drag. Like okay. it was fun, but you're out staying. You're welcome now. Mm. Um, so is like, was it cohesive? It sounds like a reasonably. It's still very weird and dreamlike, and sort mm-hmm. of. There's this idea that maybe there's some sort of time travel happening, or maybe it's a dream, and it's a little. It, it, there's enough plot. You understand this at least emotionally what it's doing. Like you understand yep. the drive there. Whether you can believe every image that's on the screen or every scenario that you're seeing, maybe not. But that's not the problem. It's more just. Could have it should have ended by now, or why are we doing this now? We could have done this earlier, and yeah. it just gets to a point where someone. I, I imagine when you've been making this film for this long, no one's going to say, "Nah, you got to change that." They just like, "Yes, Terry, let's good do it, Terry." <laughs> Push through, Terry. Push through, Terry. No one was there to sort of be the the and yeah, he's an auteur. He's going to make a Terry Gilliam film. Gilliam film, mm. and he did, and it's all right. It's, it's you have absolutely not sold it to me. No, so. no. Yeah, I'm not rushing <laughs> it. Is one I would I think the better product out of all of this is Lost in La Mancha. Like go see that. That's yeah. great. And then if your curiosity sort of gets the best of you and you can somehow watch this, give it a go. It's you beautiful. can somehow watch this. Well, oh, you we mean as in finding it? We don't I thought you know. meant sitting through it. <laughs> okay. In the sense that it might not be available. We don't yeah. really know how it's going to be distributed yet if it's going to be in cinemas or where. Yep. It mm. might be hard to get onto. Um, but eventually I imagine you'll be able to get somewhere, but yeah, then you might try it. Certainly a good one to sit down, maybe watching a couple of sittings. Um, just uh, having a drink helped (laughs) (laughs) just because it was, it was fun. Like it's a adventure. It's a bit of a, um, a farce at times. And that was appealing for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. I think because I haven't seen a film in cinema for a while, although I did see Mamma Mia 2, which was obviously, I mean, you had to go, didn't you, to that event? You haven't been? I mean, I haven't been. I went and saw Mamma Mia, the musical. Live? Yeah. Well, it didn't have Cher in it, did it? No. No. So you're missing out. Um, So I think for next week, I'm going to try and watch... The Nun in the cinema. You want to see The Nun? Which is a terrible idea for me because I fucking hate horror movies. But I think it might be a good challenge. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. Good so luck. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how yep. much shit ends up in my pants. <laughs> I don't think we We went and saw Hereditary together, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, well, I was going <gasps> to talk about that in relation to the what nun. we're talking about. No, 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 not The Nun. Oh, okay. Sharp well, objects. Let's, but, that's right. Mm. We'll get to that later then. We should move on to get to that stage. <laughs> let's get to our spoiler-free review of Sharp Objects. Let me clue you in. Season in review. 
Sharp Objects is an HBO American psychological thriller TV miniseries based on Gillian Flynn's debut novel of the same name and premiered on July 8th, 2018. Created by Muddy Noxon of Buffy the Vampire, Slayer and Unreal Fame and directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, Big Little Lies and Dallas Buyers Club, the series centres around Camille Preka, an emotionally troubled reporter who returns to her hometown of Wingap to cover the murders of two young girls. Headlining the show is Amy Adams as Camille, supported by a stellar cast including Patricia Clarkson, Chris Messina, Matt Craven, Elizabeth Perkins, and introducing Australia's own Eliza Scanlon as Amma Crellin. Season 1 of Sharp Objects contains 8 episodes, with each episode coming in at around 50 minutes and took us approximately 6 hours and 40 minutes to watch. There will not be a Season 2. So before we get started... I did want to just put out um, a bit of a potential trigger warning. It's more for the show itself, um, but people who maybe struggle with um, images of violence, particularly of self-harm and those sorts of themes as well. Is there anything else you would say? Sexual Sexual assault. assault. Oh, yeah, sexual assault. Yep, that's a big one. Um, maybe not the show for you. At least go in warned about that. We'll be discussing those things, especially in the spoiler section a little bit, um, but it's just good to go in knowing that those uh, things are a subject of the show. Um, so why do we choose to review Sharp Objects, Damask? I don't know. You told me to watch it. It's the same. I'm going to give you the same answer every week because you tell me one, to watch one it, One day you're going to tell us to watch something and that's okay. why. No, Riverdale was that. That's why we did Riverdale. Yeah, didn't um, do season two for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> we can still do season two. No. No, I'm not going to put you through it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, mainly it was because I'd heard great things about it. A few people... In the yeah. No, Sharp <laughs> Objects. Um, heard really good things about it. There was a lot of buzz around, of course, Amy Adams being in it. Um, it's a HBO original series. It was sort of coming off um, the director. Uh, he had previously done Big Little Lies, which was obviously a massive hit for HBO as well. Um, so, yeah, lots of buzz around this one. And, yeah, that was a good reason to get on top of that one. Has, have any of us read the book? No. Nope, nope. Okay, cool. Neither have I. So, we did not come to this with any sort of pre-knowledge at all. <laughs> no. Uh, Damas, could you give your review, please? Spoiler-free review. Sure, I'll give it short and sweet. So, this is an eerie Southern Gothic story, which I actually love a bit of Southern Gothic. I was obsessed with it uh, during my uni days. And it is beautifully shot. And the sound design is captivating and unsettling. And I think it fits wonderfully in the current setting of quality television that we're experiencing now. Amy Adams, Patricia Clarkson, and the rest of the cast put forth stellar performances. Now, this show has themes, themes, themes. There's a lot brought up in this season, but I had to ask myself, is it satisfying in its exploration and ending um, in regards to those themes? I'm not so sure. It's a great show and probably better on the rewatch. And I'm actually really looking forward to that. Um, the journey was great. I was left a little wanting by the ending. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Hannah, okay. what about you? Your spoiler-free review. Hmm, I thought that Sharp Objects was a really gripping reimagining of the Southern Gothic and as well as the classical Hollywood melodrama. Um, stylistically, I really appreciated the balance between horror and melodrama and the attention to detail in the editing and art direction was stunning. Um, throughout the series, it's relentless in its interrogation of personal trauma, family dynamics, identity and um, social and economic disparity. Um, 
I certainly found this a difficult watch, Mm -hmm. which borderline undercut my enjoyment at times. It's definitely not passive viewing. It's dark and it's tense and it's disturbing. But this is tempered by real beauty and emotional truth that it reveals in its characters. It's not without its flaws, but I think there's some... So I think there's some pacing issues along with some other problematic things, which I'm sure we'll get to later Mm -hmm. in spoilers. But overall, I felt like it was a well-crafted, complete standalone work that was a real sum of its parts, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I think I agree with you guys mostly. Um, A solid Southern Gothic whodunit that sets itself apart with a unique, confident style and strong, a strong interest sorry stronger interest in mood and theme um stronger interest in doing that than throwing red herrings at you having a single director is still a rare thing in tv but it's becoming more popular and pays off in spades with jean-marc valet bringing a grungy haunting style and unconventional but effective cinematic language that puts a lot of trust in its audience this may put some people off but those willing to put in the work will be rewarded greatly performances are also excellent as you said particularly from amy adams patricia clarkson and Eliza Scanlon, mm. but uh, extends throughout the entire cast as far as I'm concerned. My biggest complaint was similar to you. It's just a bit of a slow, a bit of a slowdown in pace around sort of the last third or so, a third, yeah, two thirds into the series. It picks up again for the finale, but I was starting to hope it would wrap up a little bit earlier than that. Um, overall, a great, mature, nuanced, and com- complex, if kind of pulpy, dark drama that I would encourage anyone with the stomach and the patience to watch. Do we have any other thoughts, spoiler-free thoughts at this stage before we move into spoilers? I think the baseline is that we enjoy it for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's pretty dark. It's intense. Yeah. A great cinematic style, great performances. Um, maybe don't... I think the thing I would say to people is because it's set around a, a murder mystery, it, you might go in thinking that it's a bit of a... Um, it's going to be a procedural... Sort yeah. of hmm. a murder mission. That says if no. you're going, so that's what I'm sort of trying to say. It's not throwing red herrings at you. It's not really throwing a lot at you at times. It's not necessarily going to go. Well, here's a clue, and here's some forensic evidence, or here's something that should. It's not a mystery box. No, sort of follow the clues to piece it all together. It's not Cluedo, right? It's nothing no. like that. It's it. There's definitely always talk about what's going on, and there are detectives who are on the case, including Amy Adams' character of Camille. But it's it's really interesting. A lot of the stuff that's going on around that. Um, from a mood perspective mm. and a, the emotional trauma, just the way the town of Wingap functions and its effect it has on the people that live there, um, and sort of how that yeah that community functions is is a is a lot of the um, of the energy of this is put up placed on that, and then yeah, on I'd Camille's internal sort of conflict and internal life as well. And yep. that's if you're interested in that, and I I think you should be because Amy Adams, as I said, and the rest of the cast are great at it then jump in. But if you really just want a whodunit, then mm. that's there, but it's not as prevalent as you might expect. It's a real Gilmore Girls meets True Detective. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's not true. I, just <laughs> I mean, there's some interesting mother-daughter <laughs> dynamics and it definitely has a Southern Gothic sort of True Detective thing going yeah. for it. No, that's fair. Yeah. I can sort of see what you're going for there. Maybe not quite the... Uh... If I, I just want to really confuse people as they go into... <laughs> watching it's like i don't know what to expect from this at all <laughs> and then i think they'll be in the right mind frame <laughs> which one's rory i'll leave that with you yeah <laughs> <laughs> right in listeners which That's one's rory <laughs> which one's rory and which who's one's... luke yeah mm. and what's lorelei is that the lorelei there you go you can, you can tell i've watched a lot of Gilmore girls um have you given this a ranking out of five i'll give it a four four what about you, yeah i'm 
in between a four and a four and a half. Okay. So I'll four. I'll, I also give it a four. So four it is. The official <laughs> consensus is four stars from mm-hmm. Hunting Season. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We uh, also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one of Sharp Objects. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Sharp Objects. If you've not done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been... Warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Story time with Damask. Camille Preaker is living out loud in St. Louis as a reporter, but her editor and surrogate dad tells her to report on a story about dead girls in our hometown, and while she's there, maybe she should deal with her mummy issues. So Camille begrudgingly heads home to the town of Stepford. We meet her mum, Adora, who I describe as Regina George with a Valium addiction. Tension is in the air and Camille tries to spend as much time out of the family home as possible. She rides around trying to uncover the truth behind who has murdered the two teenage girls. Could it be the brother or perhaps the dad? The town seems to think it's the bro because he is, wait for it, possibly a big flaming gay. Or maybe the dad because, you know, patriarchs are the worst. During her travels, Camille meets an out-of-town detective. They flirt a whole bunch and visit past crime scenes of the town. It's so romantic that they can't resist doing a bunch of finger banging in the woods. Ah, that really takes me back to high school. Camille isn't super into being vulnerable with people because her body is covered in scars and because her mum taught her that weakness will be preyed upon, so she keeps the detective at arm's length. Thankfully, he's got long fingers though. Anyway, Camille spends some time with her much younger sister, Emma, who is the same age as the deceased girls. Every now and again, they talk about their other sister, Marion, who died a long time ago. We're left in the dark about exactly how she met her end, mostly because Camille is always too wasted for us to grab hold of comprehensible flashbacks. We do see a flashback of time she spent in a rehab facility. She bonds with a young girl while there. It's sweet and... I mean, personally, I thought it was kind of sexual, but I guess it was more of a sisterly affection. Anyway, that girl drinks Drano and dies, so that's another pretty crappy situation for poor Camille. Oh dear. 
Back in the present, the detective is enamoured with Camille and wants to know more about her and her complicated relationship with her family. He does some sniffing around and uncovers that Marion was an absurdly sickly child. In fact, one nurse believes that Adora has Munchausen by proxy. As he gets closer to understanding the family dynamics, Camille is busy getting more than just a finger from the brother and possible murder suspect. They make sweet love and I was totally into it. Who knew that an 18-year-old boy could be so tender? Oh yeah, they can't. This is just a TV show. It soups orcs when Camille and the bro are caught post-coitus by the cops. The detective handles it really well by calling her a drunk and a slut. He is officially the worst. And this is a show about murdering young women. He gets all pissy, but he does hand over the medical records and Camille now knows that her mum is the cause of her sister's death. It's pretty gnarly news, so she goes home. Turns out Mama is up to her old tricks again and she's got Amor in her sights. She's fully drugged up and ready to pose for a Lana Del Rey album cover. To save her little sister, Camille sacrifices herself and lets her mum give her a spoonful of sugar. Camille is on her deathbed. That is, until her surrogate dad, aka her editor, tells the popo that something's up and they break down the door. Phew! So Mama goes to prison for killing the girls. Camille adopts Amma and they move back to St. Louis. All is well. Until Camille stumbles across Amma's diorama for biology class and it's made entirely from a human face. Damn, I guess she's a sociopath. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. My first question is just, did you watch through the credits uh, in the At last the end? episode? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah. I didn't mean to. I was on my phone and then I was like, what's going on? And then I got to watch it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. I mean, I had to rewatch it. It was so fast. I was like, I knew what they were telling me, but I just Mm. wanted to get all those details. Um, So let's just talk about that, actually. Um, Let's just talk about how sort of the mystery unfolded. Did, were we satisfied? Was the mystery compelling to you of who killed these girls? Um, Were you satisfied Mm. with where it went and its answers? I, the further we went along and particularly when we got to the final episode, I was like, huh, the murder of the, these two girls really does seem superfluous. Yeah, which that's I was exactly not, how I felt. Which I was not expecting because I went in thinking it was going to be like a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, by the final episode, I realized it's not really what was happening. Um, and so I think when we come to that ending, I was like, oh, well, I don't actually care anymore. Like, mm. oh, big shock. Oh, my goodness. But still, I was like, I don't really care who killed those girls, <laughs> which is a terrible thing. But that's how I felt. Yeah, it becomes much more about Camille and her. Yeah, the family dynamics was mm. fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, before the very ending, I mean, even with the ending, it just sort of wraps up and we go, oh, it was always just about this family anyway. Mm. Even the murder mystery that gets Camille back in the first place mm. yeah. was wrapped into those And that's where sort of hereditary came into it for me Mm. because those parallels seem to be quite apparent in terms of um, how your parents will pass down or, yeah, mess you up in different ways (laughs) for want of a better word. Thanks, mum. Yeah. It's been a bit of that lately. Bojack has gone there a little bit as well. Yeah, it's the parents' fault. We all know this. Always. But Until we have kids and then it's not our fault. <laughs> the different ways in which she messed her children up was quite interesting. Like, obviously, Amma ended up being a complete psycho mm. through her like clinical <laughs> definition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be throwing around some words. Probably shouldn't, but <laughs> but the 
the reciprocal relationship between her mother's own illness, mm-hmm. they fed into each other. So the more that Emma wanted um, recognition and love, I put that in inverted commas, from her mother, it just became more and more toxic between the two of them. Mm. The illnesses fed one another. But for Camille, that um, trauma and abuse that she received as a, a child and a, as an adolescent ended up coming out in other ways and through her self-harm and through her own mental illness. So they manifested in different ways for the daughters but um, damaged them both equally, you could argue, I think. So we definitely think that um, – I'm going to be calling her Patricia Clarkson. <laughs> um, that, Adora. 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 That's it, thank you. Her – characters Munchausen by proxy yep. was the cause of Amos um what's the it's not necessarily just a mu- of- it's all of it it's yeah, like it's not just the that's it yeah it's not just mm. the Munchausen's by proxy is how you say mm-hmm. it it's not just that specifically that obviously had its effects yeah. on her mm. um it's just generally who I mean who Adora is as a mother to these girls it's is this a big conditional part of it. love like yeah. the, the daughters need to earn her love and earn her affection. And mm. it's even those little scenes and moments like in um, Cherry, for example, where um, Camille's eating like the pie mm. and her mum's like she ends up looking at that cherry and flashing back to that moment where her mother's like. Called her plump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's so many different moments where she's just constantly nibbling at the girls and she's at got their self-esteem. incredible passive aggressive aggression skills. Yeah. Like yeah. there's a barb and a snipe for everything. I think it was, one of my favourites was when uh, she cut herself on the rose mm. and Camille's like, um, oh, it's barely a scratch. And it's like, to you maybe. Mm. That's like, that's so many layers of fucked up there. Yeah. And or, she talks about her own mother as well, doesn't she? She does talk about her own mother who was just seemed to like punishing her and took her out into the the woods and into a river or a lake in the middle of the night and left her there and then mm, like, yeah. oh, it's you're like home. extreme version of tough love. Yeah. Which was, yeah. And awful. so sort of overcompensated by being wanting to be able to take care of her daughters so much that she was actually intentionally making them sick to have that yeah. role. Yeah. I mean, that, that image of Adora um, when Camille is when she's like a young girl sitting on the stairs and Anna has been born and she bites her face. Yeah. It was just so terrifying. Like she like she's like, Oh, God's brought me another sickly child mm. and then she bites her face. It was like it is like it's clearly um a, a mental disorder that she has and yeah. she's yeah. unable to kind of connect her, you know, poisoning her children or harming her children with and like, yeah, it's a disconnect from there. That's obviously something that's happening. And then taking the role as carer, mm-hmm. yeah. which is um, it, it's so like complex. It's such it a is. complex thing. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I was just fascinated by it, and I just wanted to know more. But she's this fascinating figure as well. Like, mm. so beautiful, and it harks back to like a Tennessee Williams character, like yeah, Street totally. Kind of Desire, or even um. Cirque or Vincent Minnelli melodrama films where it's this like, you know, those pink dressing gowns and she's always talking about not being dressed appropriately or the house isn't mm. looking up. It's looking gorgeous. Yeah. It's always like <laughs> it's immaculate and, you know, her hair is perfect and she's so practised with her. She's got this socialite air about her. It's really fascinating. That line about the house not being ready for visits yeah. and stuff like, like yeah. that. Every the, the more you think about it though, and this is why a second viewing would be so good, is that you realise every line has 
a second or third meeting to it does. anyway. Like yeah. that one is not necessarily that the house isn't ready. It's that the the town of Wingap is a mess right now, and mm. people outsiders being here is not what we want. Mm, yeah. Right? That's like it's 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 yeah. the second and third meanings to everything. Yeah. That e- not but, even necessarily the character is saying, but the show is trying yeah. to communicate. But I just to. love in that line, it, which really struck me was that, that she's a guest. That she's a guest yeah, in her home. family yeah. it's home. It's guests, just it's just it? like yeah. Oh, that's a, like as soon as she opens the door, it's a a sick burn. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. And it never stops. It's, it's constantly where I'm going to. I want to apologize to you for being unlovable. Like mm, there's. Yeah. It's just constant from her. It's inc- It's she's so good. I actually thought that like the Adora as a character at first was a little like, little much. A little much. But you. I mean, and she still is a larger than life sort of character as the show mm-hmm. goes on. But it, the. The show double downs on it, like yeah. doubles down on it, that she is like the queen of this little town, that everyone mm. is, you know, there to please her, that they thank her for being at a, you know, having this uh, festival on her lawn and mm. even like um, the wife of the cop, Vickery, who yes. yeah. is like, she must know the relationship between her, him and Adora is a little bit off it's there. A, well, she but, gives a look that tells us that she's But aware. she's not going to say anything because mm-hmm. how could no. you cross, you know, Adora. Adora. Yeah. It's, and so you've got that crazy power dynamic she has in the town. Then what's going on inside her own it, Like mm. there's just layers upon layers upon layers yeah. of this character. I think that's like what makes the Southern Gothic genre so fascinating mm. is that kind of moral ambiguity in mm. which we're not oftentimes not given all the information or so much is shrouded in misery that we will see a character like Adora who, yes, we realise that she's a passive-aggressive and distant mother, but we also get glimpses that she probably had a traumatic childhood as well. And it's not until the very end when we realise how awful she is. Mm. Because there's lots of moments where we see her being loving with Emma and she, she just seems like, you know, a very protective mother to an extreme extent. I mean, it's already obviously. over the top, but you don't necessarily think it's You don't think that she's dangerous. evil yeah. or dangerous, yeah. I don't know. For me, it always reminded me of um, you've seen Black Swan, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The relationship between the mother-daughter mm. in that house where she's perpetually trying to keep her in this state Like infantilize of, her, yeah, yeah. like all the soft toys. And mm-hmm. I definitely saw parallels with that with the doll's house. Yeah. And that always sat really strangely with me i never early on i didn't buy the fact that this teenager doesn't want to play with that doll's house yeah. like that sat really strangely with me but her obsession with that obviously goes far beyond playing dolls the other thing i found quite interesting about that doll's house so um even in the doll's house that's been made mm. they don't make a house a uh, house a bedroom for camille Burn. oh really yeah. yeah that makes sense did you see the not the necessarily the reveal of Amma being the murderer. I mean, did you see that coming that that was gonna happen? No. I, I had suspected quite early on that she was probably the murderer, yeah. Apparently in the book it's like they don't even try to hide it. It's oh, like really? really early on they make mm. it pretty apparent that she's probably the killer. Yeah. And then sort of lead you down the path that it's Adora and then like, oh no, it was Amma the whole time. Mm. Um Yeah, that's the thing I always when obviously the Munchausen thing came out, I was like yeah. I don't understand how Munchausen by proxy, which is a mental disorder, ends up with you killing two yeah. like girls that aren't your children and that you're not trying to save, which is part sense. of Munchausen by proxy. I was waiting for the dots to connect because I thought they yeah. were sort of suggesting things that she had a close relationship with these girls, that she was trying to fix them. Yeah. I was like, there is a way to get there, but it was hard to find it. And there were all these 
there were, more than anything, it was just trying to figure out what the motive of the killing yeah. was. It wasn't even about <clears throat> who was doing it necessarily. It was, it was the like, motive. What, what was the motive? And there were mm-hmm. all these different reasons it could have been. These girls were outsiders. There was this really specific idea of what a woman of Wind Gap was meant to be. Yeah. Um, there was even that little bit. Early on, I actually thought that Camille might have been gay and um, that that was a part of what made her an outsider and maybe these girls outsiders. There was that story that Camille told about the two um, women yeah, who I had it, the baby. When they were first yeah, talking about when she was interviewing people about the girls that had been killed yeah. and that they were like – you know, high-spirited and, you know, on the outer a bit and all tomboys. I was like, oh, they're killing, like, young gay women. Yes, and that's, that's not Yeah, that's not where it went, obviously. And so, it was lots of that wondering. Mm. It's like, where is this coming from? And this, yeah, you can imagine a town where they have such specific ideas of what a woman should be, even to the point of just being quiet about a rape. Like, that's yeah. what the whole sort of founding story of this town with Calhoun days about this girl who... Sort of just kept quiet about yeah. it. Yeah. She's praised for being quiet about yeah, they rape. They celebrate. Yeah, they yeah. get their kids to yeah. reenact this thing every year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like one of the the themes that's brought up. It's like one womanhood and what mm-hmm. that means in that particular environment, and also female relationships mm-hmm. yeah. and how complicated they are. And I think when it comes to the way that it ended, made me go. We kind of explored those things, but also, for me, not in a satisfying way. I think it touches on a lot of it. The thing is, yeah. it doesn't necessarily... Because it ends up being such that close... Fan, like, for me, the main motivation behind all of this is not necessarily... It is the sickness that all these women have. They all have different ways of essentially inflicting harm. Yeah. Mm. Two, two of them to others... One, one to themselves to and yeah. for all different reasons. That's really interesting. Yeah. And that's fan- fascinating. Yes. And it's fascinating what exists in that world of this southern community, this mm. small town. But most of that rest of that is window dressing that's being sort of like even the flashback to, I think it's in the third or fourth episode where we see Emil, um, is it uh, Amy? I can't remember the name of the character now. Oh, Alice it was, sorry. The other girl who was cutting herself. That she, oh, when, in, she, when she was in in the rehab. hospital, in the rehab hospital. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, that was a really interesting episode. And that, like, she's got that iPod touch with her all the time that she's got from there. And that adds to her texture. But I was like, yeah. but it was like, it didn't necessarily inform the rest of the yeah. series and what was going on. It was just like, a, this is what this episode is going to touch on this a little bit. We're going to have uh, even like the stuff, particularly with Camille's previous sexual assault or was it a sexual assault was an interesting yeah, idea that didn't was. well i agree with you yeah but it's interesting like that the show doesn't ever get to a stage of saying i mean camille does not necessarily feel that way and that's not to say the show doesn't think she did but it's brave to have your main character not come to that conclusion what makes you think she doesn't come to that she conclusion? Ke- she continues to sort of say well that's not how i saw it twice she gets confronted about it and twice she sort of says are you referring to when he actually confronts her with yeah it? i think that the way i interpreted that was her feeling completely paralyzed by that man actually I mean essentially she has to be in the same town in the same room as her abuser and that is so confronting and for him to yeah. blatantly acknowledge it and come up to her she's not in that moment going to say well talk about it with him and to and also allow him to he's coming to her 
in a state of like, oh, you know, th- this thing that happened really I affected to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and she she doesn't have any responsibility to engage in that conversation. All of that stuff I agree with. I but- read from, from what I read from that, she did think that it was a rape, but she wasn't going to engage with him about it. And the safest way for her to do that was to So why did she say it? different things to Detective Dick earlier where he was trying to tell her that was an assault and she's like, well, is it? Like she, well, I'm not. I don't mean to disagree. Like no, no, say no. what you're yeah. saying is wrong. It's more that this is a good example of I think what is almost an incomplete thought. Sure. Because you interpret it that way, and I think that's 100 percent valid. I don't. I don't think you're wrong. I don't really have a specific interpretation of it. Mm. But it felt like it was. No, I get what you're saying. And there are lots of thoughts like that. Her relationship with her friends from high school I think is it, not completely. It, yeah. No, I think in the moment with the detective, the what we know about is it Camille or Camilla? Camille. 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 Camille, um, is that she is completely unable to be vulnerable with him. We see with the fact that she is not willing to connect. And even I think earlier in that conversation, she's like, oh, well, you're going to look at me differently. She has no interest in getting close to people for people pitying her. She's like, she would never be like, oh yeah, I was raped in these words. Mm -hmm. Like that conversation just would not happen. I feel like she was right to not be completely vulnerable with him as well Mm -hmm. because look what he ended up doing Mm -hmm. when he – that whole thing came out with her and John having like he they he catches them together and I was what so does glad he say? that happened. Yeah, like oh, yeah, I could get feel it. that coming mm, the whole mm. time, yeah. but I was so stressed. I couldn't. <laughs> no, it's stressed when you know like <laughs> ages <laughs> earlier the police are on the way. Coming, it's like, yeah. How fucking yeah. far away is this car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what does he say to her? Um, you're nothing but a. You're a drunk slut. Drunk yeah, slut. you're a drunk and a slut, basically. Yeah. And yeah. that was just, I was like, fuck. My yeah. hand was over my mouth for a good 10 minutes afterwards. And yeah. I was like, oh, it's still so there. So he's not, he wasn't a safe person no. to no. be vulnerable with. And I don't know. I no, can understand why she wouldn't want to be. All of that's true. It was just, yeah. No, I really use it more as an example of just, it. like after that moment with the, with the guy, one of her abusers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't really a return to that in images or memories or anything. It was just never never felt fully resolved. And it, maybe it doesn't need to, but that's, I think, what the show is doing. It doesn't always resolve these things. Mm. It sort of brings them up. It shows it to you. It shows what a toxic effect it has, yeah. how, how different people respond to it and how they deal with it or don't deal with it. And I think they were showing it those um, moments as puzzle pieces of her... Trauma. Yes, because apparently and how in the it all book, contributed. they're touched on even less. Yes, fact, I read that as well. The character of mm. Alice is like three sentences or something yeah. like that, and that's and they turned it into an entire episode. And they turned it like being able to use her iPod as a diegetic source of music throughout yeah. so much mm. of the show was really valuable. I think, or maybe not. No, we. Yeah. I thought yeah. so. They were they they were able to weave in music in diegetic ways really well, and there were three. We had three sort of sources of of music with Alice's iPod iPod Touch. Alan. We had Alan's music. <laughs> DJ Alan. Can we talk about Alan? Because I'm very interested to know. Well, let's finish the the music thought first, but we need to circle back to Alan. I was going to say, we also had um, um, Amma? Amma. Amma. We had Amma as well. Uh, she was Amma? the other. Amma. Amma. Thank you. <laughs> it's a weird name. Where does Amma come it from? It is an anagram of Mama. Yeah. That hit me as I was looking at the subtitles oh. last episode. Like, hey. The subtitles were just constantly That explosion Amma. you heard in the back with my mind. <laughs> it was just constantly Amma shouting Mama. I was looking at it going, that's not, you know, that's not a mistake. Were you just like, what kind of name is that? <laughs> I thought it was Emma the whole time. Yeah. Emma. Amma, no. Just with an accent on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, where are they? Were they in Missouri? Missouri, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was just their accent. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 
Alan. Alan. What do you want to talk about? What Alan? a sycophant. I don't... <laughs> Look, I get what he's representing. It's he a was... sexless marriage. He's drowning himself in this classical music and this fake life that he's... But mm. like, he is watching her grind up these pills and don't... What does he say? Something like... Don't go overboard. Don't go overboard, dear. Mm. I... He does he know? Is he just he is not much of a himself? sharp object? Although oh. she uses him as a blunt instrument, I think in times. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's have a moment of silence for that. <laughs> Quite good. <laughs> let's all acknowledge yeah. and great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's. I, well, sorry to move away from Alan. I, I think Alan's a really interesting character as well because he is just so. Just like everybody else in this town mm. is just there to serve a door at the end of the day. Mm. I and think I wanted a little bit more. It's the moral ambiguity of the genre, though. They gave him more to do in this show. They did. They should have given him more. Well, a lot of the talk has also been about that the male characters in the book are barely there. Okay. It's mm. primarily a, a female show. I'm not mad. And about so that. there was some concerns. I might yeah. read the book then. <laughs> yeah, there, uh, there are some. Con- there were some concerns early on. They were giving too much time to the male characters. There was never really any male perspective. In the show, whereas yeah. in this show we get lots of time with Vickery and we get lots of time with Dick as well. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing, especially for the sake of keeping the procedural stuff going. I I think the show is better to have at least the amount that it does of that. Mm. And Camille can't be the one doing it all. It's not mm. really her job. And she's not a great reporter anyway, so that she couldn't be doing it. <laughs> no. Um, so I think what the way they're used is pretty... I think because Alan's a good example as... And like actually, and Vickery as well. Vickery is got this weird relationship with Adora that's probably sexual in some way. Well, they um, have a daughter. So Vickery and oh wait, what? No, Vic- Vickery, Vickery and Adora. Sorry, sorry. No, Vic- <laughs> as in the police yeah. sheriff or oh, I'm just casting aspersions on um, Emma's parentage. Yeah, yeah I was like, is there a twist that I missed? Possibly, oh that's an interesting idea. Uh, like he is obviously very sort of. Uh, Loyal to her up until the close to the end, he's had his suspicions, but wouldn't mm. have gone there. Mm. And then Alan is just, as you were saying, a complete Sick tool for her. He's yeah, just nothing. Yeah, and that's so that's not a bad way. If you're going to give those characters, like he gets a little bit more personality by having his stereo. <laughs> I he gets guess. a couple of flashbacks though to um, Emma's childhood, which mm. humanized yeah, him slightly. True. Well, it just sort of showed how much of a limp sort of character he is yeah. though because he obviously has a huge affection for his daughter but he's letting this woman but yeah. again, destroy it's like, her. But would you ever believe someone that you're in love with was poisoning your child? I think your child is the best chance you have of realising if your child is being hurt it's the best chance you have of figuring out that the person that you are in love with is actually doing bad things. If it was somebody else I think I think I don't know because I don't have kids, but I think your connection, your love for your child, is pretty spectacular and singular, and that might be enough. But he is not that person, obviously. But I'm saying, like, but how would you know? Just say if your wife was like, "Oh, we've got a sickly child yeah. from birth. We've we've got this sickly child," and she goes to all the doctor's appointments and she's in control of that. Would you ever think like, ah, oh, no, you wouldn't. I don't mm, think you would. Uh, you don't think he he obviously I was suspicious. Yeah, at the very least, if not. I don't think he knew all along. I think that he knew when we saw him in the kitchen with Adora. Yeah, right. You think Mm, that was the first time he really figured it out? No, I don't think it's the first time. But I just got the sense that he He was clued into... Was it Marion? Was that the 
uh, being yeah, the first Mary? daughter that died anyway. Mm. Yeah. I don't think he would have known necessarily then, but then she wasn't his daughter. He's paying no. a lot closer attention with Amma because it's his daughter. Yeah, right. And probably has had suspicions since then for, for a while, I would say. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Well, I'm just trying to understand the reasoning of a man that wouldn't yeah. do anything. Just he's just been find- beaten into that position. It's the, He is without power. And so, he, yeah, he is, that's, that's his lot in life at this stage. Yeah. What did you guys think of the use of available light? Like, this wasn't lit at all. Nope. All this was all it, just the lighting no from within key the lights. scene. Mm. To the point where even like people would be walking into shadow, or or actually having to hold their hands up in front of their eyes, yeah, <laughs> so they could see the person they were talking to. Um, where even though they had glasses hanging around their neck, that they, he, that was Detective Richards or whatever his name is, mm. Dick, and he had his sunglasses on his shirt, but he didn't think to put them on. He's just doing this, idiot. Um, I loved that. I thought it was great, and mm. even I, it seems weird. But I loved that characters were forced to like yeah. react to the light and like it was real. I like, thought it was it, such a brave choice and really grounded. It made it so much more visceral. Yeah, I mean, I felt like when you see that sun beating down and they're yeah, like they're covering their face and you see their sweat patches. Mm. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sweating well. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. That the the town has a real sense of place. You understand mm, that totally. it's hot, it's mm-hmm. stinky, it's like it's that the people are sizzling in this heat. It all is there. The constant just, use of fans. I was like, yeah. yeah mm. Another sharp object. Let's just do that quickly. The the title sharp object. Let's count the sharp objects. Well, there's. I think there's just a lot of uses for that term. There's the obvious sharp objects that Camille is <laughs> yeah. using to cut us. Pointy herself. things. Pointy yes. things. And mm-hmm. there are lots of them. Fans are in there a lot. Um, we see the needle that she gets earlier oh, on. Oh, I couldn't oh, watch that Underneath stuff. fingernail. Nope. No, thank nope. you. No, thank you. I think my personal favourite mm. was the ironically helpful sharp object she finally had at the end when they were putting yeah. the IV drip in. Mm. I was like, into omen was the word at the time as well. And I was just like, oh, that's a really nice way to realise that we're moving out of the danger finally. Yeah. That this is a, a, safe. a safe, a good use of a sharp object. This isn't a dangerous or harmful one that we've mm-hmm. had for it's such a, a long time. It's a restorative one. Restorative mm. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was a really clever image to have mm, at the end there. Wasn't it? And, uh, and then there's the idea of just whether people were sharp objects, as in Adora is, you know, very sharp-tongued, sharp-witted, um, is in control. The way she uses her, um, what do you call them? The, the, the balcony girls? No, the... Balcony. Veranda. I think they called her Veranda Girls, what they called herself. Oh, yeah, the posse Jackie and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Jackie is an interesting idea as, you know, someone who is was on understood what was going on but choosing to not – thought she could do all she sort of used the power that she had but really was yeah. probably making herself sick from not – from guilt from not talking mm. up about – I what feel like she doing. did quite a lot though. Well, Jackie. she was constantly she was, trying to yeah. get the – Request she, the medical records. And she yeah. had so tried quite a lot. She, yeah. she tried try. to get proof so that she could do something because yeah. when she said, like, well, who would believe me? I was like, well, yeah, true. Who would believe you? And she did try. And, look, she has to live with that now and she's finding ways to convince herself that what she did was enough. But, yeah. Bloody Mary. She's obviously, like, yeah, self-medicating, <laughs> I was about to say. In terms of you were saying, I 
like um, brave choices and stuff like yeah. that that the show takes as well. There's a few things I really want to talk about here. I really want to talk about how this show, which is a detective story on some levels, avoids some common detective story devices or tropes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first one being that they're it's pretty common to see in a detective story or especially in noir films or not noir shows, um, the use of like voiceover or in a mm. monologue sort of stuff, um, which they don't use here. It's mm. an easy thing to do to try and keep the audience on track with what a person is thinking or where they're at in their um, investigation or what they're figuring out, the dots they're putting together. Mm. They don't use that at all. Jessica Jones doesn't know how to use it, but tries. <laughs> this show Shady. figures out a way to not use it. Mm. They also don't use other things that I've seen in replacement of that. So the the one that came to mind was from another sort of um, Southern Gothic uh, detective show being True Detective Season mm-hmm. 1, where they use that interview sort of um, the interview from, interviews in the future and they yeah. ask them about their previous oh, investigation as their that. way mm. of sort of getting exposition and information mm-hmm. across, understanding what the people are thinking. Yeah. Rather than having the voiceover, they just go to those interviews. Mm. Very clever device, worked great for that show. And this one... They just tend to use flashes, just but really the, aggressive cutting to memory. What struck me about those flashbacks, it to me felt like one of the truest recreations of what it is like to flashback. Yeah. Mm. It's these really small snippets of memory and you don't need much to place you. And you, I think, saying earlier, um, for example, the one, I think it's at Calhoun Day? On Calhoun Day, Calhoun, yeah. Calhoun Day. Yeah. Um, where it just flashes briefly back to the cheerleaders yeah. in high school. And it's a um, almost mirror image of the shot that you've got. Yeah, with the so women, they're all sort of all lined of the friends up. lined up. Yeah. And in that moment, you get everything that you need to know about all the, the connection that she's made, the context of it. Yeah. Um, very clever. So good. Yeah. And at first when it was happening, this is what I was talking about in my sort of review earlier, that... Not everyone's going to follow along with this, I don't think. This is asking a bit of your audience. You're trusting mm-hmm. the audience to get what they're trying to do here because yeah. they very rarely even come with sounds, these memories. And some, some of them the are so ones. quick. They're almost um, hallucinations totally. rather than mm. flashbacks. Well, yeah. that's mixed in there too. She yeah. is seeing visions of her dead sister and um, Alice and stuff like that. Constantly these ghostly figures. And ghostly words as well, like what we're seeing um, scratched into her car or... Mm. Um, there's been a lot online, p- people who've gone through and mm-hmm. taken screen grabs yeah. of all of the words. Mm. And there's a lot to piece together and to see. Some of it I'm not sure whether, you know, you can read too much into. But, yeah, yeah certainly interesting to see what they've taken out and um, chosen to put into the mise-en-scene. Um, apparently in the books, the one of the devices they use with Camille is that she – We'll talk about a certain word sort of flaring up on her body. She'll mm. feel that word. Mm. And because there was no voiceover, no one to say, oh, ouch, my omen's hurting or something like that, right? <laughs> they sort of Very have to find Harry another Potter. way to do it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> oh, my scar. Ah, Voldemort's near. The Adora must be close. The They sort of use this method instead. And it would have been probably pretty tempting to just go, oh, we'll just have the word flash up on screen or something like that. Mm. Find a way to do it. But to have it sort of integrated into the mise-en-scene, as you were saying, is very, very clever. And again, it's only there if you're looking for it. And it doesn't 
necessarily give you heaps of information, but it's just that little bit of texture. Yeah. It's a little rewarding for people who are paying, paying close attention. Even that word that was scratched into a car yes. was mm. once scared, scared and then sacred. it was sacred. It, like, it changes, it morphs. The way I read it described was the anti-mystery box format. It's all there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are those little snippets of Easter eggs, if you like, for you to find, but it's not going to reveal anything profoundly different from the themes and the um you what, don't need it in no. order to appreciate it just enriches it enriches nice. what's yeah. already there which mm. i really like it's not going to yeah. radically yeah specific to what kind of viewer you are mm. whereas when we were talking about westworld yeah indecipherable and you need to be a I mean, certain kind of person um that enjoys being fucked with i guess yeah. and trying to like outsmart everyone like mm. that's the kind of show that that is whereas this show if you want to play that game, you can, I guess. Mm-hmm. If you're like, oh, what can I find in every scene that maybe perhaps leads to who the killer is or whatever it is. Sure, you can do that, but you don't have to, to enjoy it or for yeah, for the story to be compelling. The thing is, there's not I don't think there's really, in terms of the mystery of who the killer is, that many like bread crumbs or clues to be no, had no. in like the visual stuff. It's mainly just in foreshadowing in the dialogue. Things mm, that people yes. say that have a second meaning when you go back on it later and, the and realize I've started rewatching it and yeah. it is really rewarding. Yeah. I think it's gonna be better on the rewatch. Yeah, yeah I'm finding it. Yeah. Even um some of the stuff I've been listening and reading to, a lot of people who just even watched it immediately after watching watching an episode, mm-hmm. rewatched it again soon after ep- episode by episode, were finding a second viewing immediately mm. afterwards was better too. Yeah. To understand where the story was going and that each episode was sort of laying sort mm. of clues and track there for you along the way. Which is such a smart way to make a TV show. It's like if you're like on a streaming service or whatever, just be like, yeah, yes, right. you have to rewatch it a million times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You'll get so much <laughs> more. Right. But this is where – because that's where when we watched Westworld – uh, especially season Never one. Never watch it again. <laughs> but no, but that was a show that I think <laughs> on, season the one. first season was okay for a rewatch for those reasons. Yeah. But it also was satisfying in the moment. Mm-hmm. So you didn't feel like you had to be rewatching it to do yeah. it. Whereas this, and whereas season two was the opposite. Yeah. Season two was. <laughs> I don't want to go I, back. Don't. Don't. Don't do it. It's not worth it. I won't. Because it wasn't guys. satisfying the first time, so. Yeah. It's nah. why put yourself through that. It yeah. might be a little bit better. It Don't reward be their bad behavior. Exactly. So they need to learn from their mistakes. I can relate to that as a teacher. <laughs> Westworld writers should come and watch um, watch Sharp Objects. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I just thought that that style of editing, just to go back to what we are saying a second ago, was super brave and so, so effective and done so mm. well. I loved that visual language. So much. Um, Those editors, hats off. Massive props. But Mm. not just the editors because you got to think about the director has to have these shots in mind to go in here. When he is planting different people in a scene or like, remember Mm. that opening scene, which is like, Young Camille, yeah. and then they blending go, into and, her apartment. Oh my god, oh, yeah. that's great! Can we so talk good. about the casting of Young Camille? My god, that was amazing. Yeah. At she first, looked, I was like, I don't see it, and then it went on. I was like, I see it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I've seen that girl in something else. I think it. that's why. It. Yeah. Yes, I haven't seen it. Sophia so Lillis, and she it. was amazing in that. Mm. I was like, this. She she needs to go and do lots more stuff. And then she's. I think Jessica Chastain's playing her in it too, in the oh. in the part two thing. Oh. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's good casting. And now I'm like, get Jessica out of there. Get Amy in. This is definitely Amy's body double. Has to be the young version of her. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind? I sort of wanted to... I wanted to talk about Please. race in this. Interesting. Um, 
I think that it might be susceptible to the same sort of criticism that three billboards. Yes. If you're going to send something in the South and to interrogate all the things that this show is interrogating, I think it is at least worthy of comment or a conversation around this. There's relatively few black characters Mm -hmm. in this show and those that are on screen don't have a lot to say and there's no explicit commentary on race I in this. agree with you a little bit. There My, are a few I concede, go on. The the thing <laughs> the thing that I think that sets I it, concede, go on. Concede <laughs> like a few moments. <laughs> the the thing that I think is a little bit different with three billboards, and I want to be someone actually going out and say that I actually thought three billboards for the most part was good, but I understand the people's problems with it, especially with its how it talks about race. But I, I think what it was trying to achieve it mainly set out to do, sure. with the exception of that when you're talking about specifically about racism, which that film does, it has a cop, a racist cop, and that is a he's a central figure in that film. They do a terrible job of actually spending time yeah, on the people true. that are affected by his racism, right? Gotcha. So that's yeah. a real problem. This community of Wind Gap 100% has a race problem too, but it's third, fourth, fifth tier down of what we're talking about in this specific show. It is, again, one of those textual things that's yeah. there, but it doesn't... And I, I, You could fill this show and go for 20 episodes if you want to talk about all of Wingap's problems. I mm. think it does comment on a few of them very subtly. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favourite moments was when, and the, uh, was when Jackie sees Officer... Vickery. And there's that the, man at the gas station. And just like she moves out of shot yeah. and you realise that guy's been there the, whole, the time, whole time. And they didn't give a fucking shit that he was listening to their very tense and mm. textured conversation. And it did hold on him. It did, yeah. right? It made a deliberate effort that they did not see him and we didn't see... The show didn't reveal him to us until it was important for us to know he was there the entire time. Because yeah. it was making a comment about that. It just isn't going to explore it yeah. in yeah. detail. I what think if like one of our main characters has been raped and so much has happened and Mm. we're not really delving into we're not really discussing that a whole Mm. lot i think it also makes sense that something like race in a small town in the south is not being discussed but like it is somewhat acknowledged when we have like there's no other place to drink in this town oh except unless you go to bean town and you like like, or we smell urine and blood yeah or we suspect that you know it can't be anyone from the town Unless it's a Mexican or like a trucker, you know what I mean? Like, so there's there's certainly an element of racism. And then we also have like the one black woman in the friendship group was mistreated within the friendship group. So there are little bits. Sure, could there be more? Absolutely. Could there be people of color who are actually like main characters? Absolutely. Um, But yeah, I understand why it's not a focus of any particular episode because I think there's so much more to deal with within the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, I agree. Sorry. No, you go. I was going to say, well, I think the acknowledgement there is that, well, we could have characters of colour in this and we acknowledge that there aren't... They were acknowledging that there aren't main characters of colour in this, but also Wingap may not have main characters of colour in there in this big story. Does that make sense? They aren't main players in in the town's power dynamics. I would... Because that's the way the town you've works. You've got Gayla in the house, though, with Adora. Mm. Yes. I've found um, scenes with her in there really interesting and, like, Camille's obvious, like, affection for mm. Gayla. Mm-hmm. And um, they obviously have a connection there. And Gayla would see a lot, like, collecting up those knives in that scene. Yeah. And, her constant presence in like the domestic heart of that house. Yeah. 
I would like. I wanted to know more. Isn't, about her. isn't the thing where she's collecting the knives though a comment on her ultimate uh, loyalty to Adora though? Yeah, like uh, I don't know. Like her presence, like she's been working there for a very long time, and is you? Yeah, no, I don't know about that because we have the scene between Camille and uh, <laughs> <laughs> say that again, Damascus. Camille, um, and sorry, I forgot the maid's name. Gayla, Gayla, thank you. Um, all these fucking names. All right. Um, when Camille is like, <laughs> she's like, oh, why? You're like, you know what Adora's like, why have you stayed? And she's like, well, it's either working with the pigs or here that they're yeah. our only options and I don't like pigs. And it's like, well, this woman has no other option but doing that kind of work yeah, yeah. and it's steady work and she probably gets paid quite a lot from the most affluent family in town, so... I don't necessarily think it's loyalty more than just like sure. this is her. I almost job. saw it as like a maternal act of her knowing Camille's t- tendencies and mm. working together with Adora to protect her from that. I don't know. There's there's definitely complexities there. I don't know. Maybe the show. The, one of the things I actually liked about the show is that. I've found a few times with some of these series, the episodes can get to start to get a little bit long-winded. Hit that 60, sure. 65, 70-minute mark. And you kind of wish, oh, I wish they'd cut down a little bit. The episode lengths here end up being around 50 minutes. The last episode's like 46 minutes, mm. yeah. which is great. Yeah, it's really they, good. It's... Because there's a, there's a couple episodes that I think on a rewatch are going to be more valuable to me that felt a little like, oh, I feel like we're treading water here. Why mm-hmm. aren't we moving forward a little bit more? And if they were any longer, I really would have struggled. There's genu- generally, it's focused enough. It knows what story it's trying to tell, and mm-hmm. it cuts a lot of the fat. And even the way that it does its like memory stuff is so sharp and quick, and it's trying to not bloat things too much. Yeah. And it deliberately is eight episodes. It could have gone for twelve and had more in there, but maybe this is the version of itself that it wanted to be. And I think it did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. agree with that. <clears throat> um, was there anything else about, I don't know, we sort of touched on the harm stuff when we came to Adora. We talked a lot about what she was doing. So she is harming her children as a way of trying to get affection, power, have meaning, attention even. Mm. she The way she wails when Amma runs away or mm. you know she cuts herself and the whole world's falling apart when that happens a lot of her is about trying to get affection and love and and attention that way yeah uh on the flip side camille's self-harm is one of obsessiveness it's punishment it's a coping mechanism and it's definitely not attention it's Mm -hmm. the exact opposite Opposite. of what adora is doing um which i thought was very interesting and Mm -hmm. then Arma, on the other hand uh, Arma, thank you Camille. Camille. You got to do the accent. Camille. Camille. Emma, on the other hand, well, what's hers? She's harming her friends or these girls out of control. It's a power. It's jealousy. Jealousy, anger. It comes from a place where apparently they have fights. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you're not loyal to me anymore. You're no longer my. Like, you look at the two girls she hangs around with now. Yeah. No, I think it's like for both Camille and Emma, it's both a sense of control in the way that they sure handle it. I mean, Amma is like, <clears throat> you know, these people are out of my control, therefore I will like eliminate them, destroy them. Mm-hmm. I regain that control. I think with Camille it is a feeling an un- uncontrolled emotion 
<clears throat> an uncontrolled pain and that is a way to take back control. Yep. <clears throat> which makes sense when you think they're raised by a woman who has removed all of their power and their free will. Yeah. She is like, you know, you are sick. You are healthy. You have to do this. You can't leave the house. And she will only connect with them when they sort of submit. When they submit, yeah, yeah, totally. So, of course, you know, obviously one is more extreme than the other, but, like, it's just wanting their own power and their own control. Um, let's talk about Camille for a second just in general terms. Because yeah. we haven't quite got there, I don't think. We've talked a lot about Dora and some of the other characters. What do we think of her as a lead character as our sort of main vessel? Do we like Camille? Like, we know we like Amy mm-hmm. Adams' performance. Do we... Mm-hmm. Do, is she an interesting character? Do we is she yeah a likable character? What how do we feel about her? Yeah, I mean, I I liked her. I certainly found her interesting and relatable. It did make me laugh though, because I was thinking about like, oh, when you have like a similar show like this where you've got like a damaged lead or whatever. If it's a man, it's like my whole family died in a fire. Whereas Camille, it's like, oh well, first my sister died. Um, and then I was raped and then I like self-mutilate and then I went to a hospital and a girl died. I was like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. They never get the dead family, do they? It's all just like stuff that happens to, to them. them. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, fuck. Um, but no, I, I liked I liked Camille. I, I found her interesting. I liked that she, yeah, was an outsider and strong-willed and even though her mum continuously shits on her, she just was like, I'm just going to go continue on doing my job and mm. I'm here and this is, yeah. No, I liked her. Hannah? I liked her as well. I thought it, she was complex. Mm. Um, I was concerned initially when she was introduced as this alcoholic mm. journalist and I was like, oh, trade carefully. This could go really cliche. But I think they managed to avoid that. It was She was a lot more than... Um, her vices and self-harm, there was a lot more going on there and they were really generous with, um, yeah, the emotional connections and the relationships that she'd had, um, you know, pre-trauma with her family and also when she was in hospital. What was the name of the character that... I can't remember. The one with the iPod. I don't know. Oh, Alice. Yes. (laughs) That was obviously really important to her and I I like that we kept revisiting that and that they'd made more of that than they did. Um, than they did in the book. Yeah, I like that they made it. The vices weren't interesting. It was the 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 causes yes. of the vices yeah. that were more. That was more of the focus, which I appreciated. It's definitely really easy to have. Like, I even think of uh, True Detective in this. You know, you oh, think yeah. about what happens to Mud. Is it Mud in that? It's been a long time since I watched True Detective. Mm-hmm. One. We should do that again someday. Uh, and he, you know, he's drinking and he's flat circle and he's crushed cans and he's like grown out beard and stuff yeah. like that. And like, you get an idea of how he got there, but it's more of just making him grisly and interesting. Yeah. And this it's, it textures, it says a lot about her. Cause even the way she does things is interesting. Um, in the first episode, she's drinking mainly from like little airplane, small bottles. Yeah, she tips mm-hmm. them all out onto the bed and. Right. And then. As she sort of goes to wind gap, well, I'm going to need more than just a little bottle of yeah. uh, vodka. I love she, that look on the cashier's Checking watch. the watch. Yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> and even the way this kept happening, she was like every night she was at the bar and every night she's just like, I'm out of, I need to go to the fucking bar because I need to be drinking. Or the, she goes to that shop, get a little ding of the bell, you see yeah. across the thing. It's but you've like, got a sense got of like how debilitating going. this yeah. is, like that she constantly needs to 
make this a part of her routine and mm-hmm. her life. And the way she hides it too. So a big part of what happens here is she sort of regresses back into her teenage self as mm. well, where she's like hiding the bottles and putting the vodka into her plastic water bottle. Yeah. Similar to what Amma's doing mm. when she sees her getting vodka from the store. And it's it says so it they used it as a way to explain not just her character where she's been, but what's happening to her um, while she's back in town and stuff like that. She was There's- a whole person as well. And I think the flashbacks really enriched that. And Always. Um, for me, the casting of her younger self was so important mm-hmm. in just those moments of even her lying back in bed alongside her sister mm. and um, that nostalgia of her kind of running through the forests. And you really got a sense of her childhood as being simultaneously this really beautiful thing and she was she had so much that was good about it but then like the precariousness of her relationship with her mother and how that was just constantly um in danger of yeah undermining her self-worth and causing real damage do we think the self-harm aspect of her character was well handled because it's a pretty touchy thing it's uh, i feel like i can't comment yeah on I'm the that. same yeah I'm going to go with no. Don't think so? No. I I hated that her body was covered in words. I really Mm. hated it. Yeah. Um, I also hated that I believe she has words on her back. I I couldn't figure that out. I didn't understand how that was happening. I get that like visually it's kind of a cool thing and I'm sure in the book it sounds really like interesting. Like, oh, that's so dark. Yeah. But just with... It's I mean, it's, can't speak for everyone, obviously, but we like self harm. It's like yeah, I don't know. Like writing words, like it doesn't quite fit with like that amount of words. That are much like I'd get like a word here and there, but mostly it's just like it's just cutting. It does sound like. <sighs> Don't want to because I haven't read the book, so I don't want to cast aspersions on the writer or where this all came from. But it sort of is like. It sounds like, oh, this woman who's got words written on her body, she's self-harming and like she'll mm. feel those words. Those words will become relevant in certain moments. It's like it's a, it is a storytelling device more that's necessarily a true reflection of what somebody who is self-harming would do. Yeah. And that's the worry that it's used as a, this yeah. is going to make them interesting. Yeah. This is the hook on this character Particularly rather than- Particularly someone who, I remember when um, Emma was talking about her friend that self-harmed and mm. she describes yeah. why her friend, friend says it. And- um, Camille was just like, oh, your friend sounds like an after-school special. I was like, the fact that you write, like, words on your body sounds like an after-school special to me. Yeah. But, you know, that could be someone's experience and I don't mean to diminish that, but it it seemed far-fetched I've saw. I heard a criticism as well that one of the other problems could have been that the way that they're done is almost... A, not attractive, but there's some. There's a sort of subtle beauty to it, and that could be yeah, <clears throat> you don't you don't want to romanticize and glorify it, yeah. right? And that's a problem too. It. Um, Do you think that happened um, with that sex scene with John? What's his name, right? Uh, yeah, that's his name, John Kerr, or whatever it was. Yeah. The, I generally liked that sex scene yeah. in terms of it was a very important moment for the mm. character to finally be vulnerable with somebody. Yeah. And that was to be vulnerable with somebody who was, you know, going mm. through something similar. Or I have to say it. I haven't seen a sex scene like that before. I thought it was really yeah. beautiful. Sex in it. general in the, in the show was very interesting. Yeah. Her mm. scenes with 
um, with Detective Dick as well were... You don't see that a lot. So the no. first one being the one at the cabin and she's... I mean, even in the first episode when they set up that she's sort of got this like almost sexual awakening moment mm. from seeing those images in the that hunting yeah. lodge or hunting cabin in the woods or whatever it was. And that that's... Her relationship to that is complex and mm. it's darkness and it's sort of grossness, but... And that's sort of how she feels about herself, though. So you yeah. understand where that comes from. Then when she's even sort of, sort of masturbating in the first scene, she I think she's covered up then as well, and mm-hmm. she's, she's... Co- toes constantly covered up when she's around Dick, and they have to have the lights off, and that that yeah. was very confronting. Some interesting stuff going on there with from full frontal nudity on him as well, which mm. was I've never seen that. A lot of butt. Yeah, it wasn't just butt. It was more than just butt Could going you see on there. his dick? I think so. But I it was very it. dark. There's a lot of hand movements that was There was. I'm a assuming because I was like, oh, yeah, cool. He's keeping himself hard, but I didn't see actual dick. Okay. It, maybe and I was looking it quite closely. I was like, strongly. Is this Messina's dick? No, it wasn't. <laughs> strongly implied dick. And not just dick, but how it was being used. Anyway. <laughs> but how it was but being used. I'm going to rewatch that. It was <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't sexy in the way that sex scenes often can be on television mm. and stuff like that. It was, it got intimate and sexy for the first time, really, with Intimate's John. the right word. Yeah. yeah it was tr- like truly intimate. And it felt like they had a connection. It yeah. wasn't just. I found it quite sexy. I was yeah. like, what a disgusting now, does that so bad. Does that work for or against? the show or its messaging when it talked about the self-harm. I don't know. It was good for Camille, the character. Don't know if it was good for how they're handling. Yeah, I don't know because I think at that point it is such a source of shame and I think the mm. fact that it's being shared with someone who can understand where that the pain that causes someone to self-harm, they can yeah. understand it. So it's a mutual understanding of it. It's not someone who who has not experience the suffering that can cause that being like oh they're actually really beautiful it's got nothing to do with that it's just about seeing the pain and acknowledging it yeah it, i think it's feeling seen it yeah. helps in terms of again whereas if it happened with the detective yeah very different situation i think or even just that and i think his when we see his horror at seeing her body later on i think yeah mm. indicates no. what the differences between who's seeing them and who's not does yeah. does john ever comment that it's like beautiful or anything like that no so I that's don't important so. too it's like he's- he kisses the small of her back and there's a deliberate choice in the word that he kisses i can't remember which word it was but there's been a little bit read into there about the word that he chooses to kiss. Right. There just there needs to be care taken, I guess, there that this is obviously it's a sense of uh, there's a shame there. She's trying to hide mm. it from the world constantly with her you know long sleeves and stuff like that. And then obviously she's able to finally be vulnerable with someone, but she doesn't come away from it feeling like, oh, this makes me beautiful or anything like that. There's nothing that is romanticizing it on that level at no. least. Mm. The... And such a the it, implementation on her body yeah. worries me a little bit, but the way the show actually handles it and the character, her relationship with them, I think is done well. Yeah, I think the the writing feels there's something artistic about it, mm. which I guess doesn't sit well with me. Oh yeah, yeah. the actual words you yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, Whereas, I mean, the scene that like really went poor because there's someone who previously a long time ago but has self, self-harmed, self mm. the scene where she 
is exposed to her mother mm. and her mum's reaction to that. That was fucked. Was say. so fucking horrific yeah. and like. It was, yeah, it was just awful. And then, like, obviously she leaves and she screams in the... <laughs> that scream was amazing. Yeah, yeah like, that, that was a powerful was scene. Like, because that's, that's the worst thing you can imagine is someone seeing the scars and being like, oh, you're ruined now. Yeah. It's like, because I've had people who've seen my scars and been like, oh, it's a shame you really shouldn't have done that. I was like, well, you, I fucking know that. Thanks thanks for... It's yeah. just like, well, yeah. like, the have people say that to you. Oh, it was just devastating. I was like, oh. This show is full on. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, she's not much of a reporter. No, she's not great, but she's also like a barely functioning alcoholic. So. <laughs> I think she's doing a great job. Yeah. And also her boss sent her there just to be like, you need help. You need to deal with these demons. Really he's, he's miscalculated. He's a bad pseudo dad. Yeah. He was, I really liked the character of Curry. I Wasn't liked his little beautiful? Curry phone calls and stuff like that yeah. and their relationship, you know, calling her cubby and kiddo and yeah, grow sweet. up. And like, like he's an interesting sort of dad figure in I her was, life. I was like, this seems like a really weird work relationship, but sure. <laughs> like when he tries to put the hardware on at the start of the show, like you got to go do this yeah, story. Right. I'm your boss. Lol, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, massive miscalculation. I was very, very relieved when he showed up at the end. I was like, yes, I yeah. felt like it was either going to be uh, Vickery might have, like he did sort of figure it out in the end. But mm. all, um, when Curry walked in, I was like, oh, thank Christ for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that he was the hero. And yeah. Not, yeah. And not. Dick. Drunk slut douchebag. Yep, yeah, agree. Dick is an appropriate word. Get in the bin. Um, <laughs> we should keep moving on, but I we haven't really. I don't know. Maybe we have talked about Amma, Amma, Amma. <laughs> so You'll get these there. stupid names. Um, what do we think? I of think because you want to say it like Mama, Mama? so you're like Amma. Amma. Yeah. Her is a character. We've talked a lot about her issues, like her, her what her illnesses and so yes. forth mm. but what do we think about the performance what do we think about do we believe this character this sort of angel devil hybrid this dull child at home but this rebel in the streets the anger that she has <laughs> yeah because she's terrifying all the way through <laughs> always right yeah. she's, she's so, so scary i was like oh this is why i'm scared of teenagers when i walk down the street because <laughs> yeah, totally. they're awful <laughs> You know, like she she's a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Like the oh, when I yeah look back and I'm like, yeah, no, she definitely killed people. She's fucked up. That yeah. scene by the pool where you know she's got her hair up and she's like lounging. I almost didn't recognize her, but yeah, yeah, she's so like deliberately using her like sexual appeal mm-hmm. in that moment, and she's really like playing with people. And yeah, yeah, I would have been shit scared of her. Yeah. And her constant talking about how she can get people to do whatever she wants. Yeah. I was she's like, very aware. Yeah, she's you know she gets people her, to help her kill other girls. Her boredom, her the the way she can flit from anger to apologetic mm-hmm. is really interesting. And like the mo- like. Just seeing them on those bloody roller skates, though, is such mm. a te- the three girls just sort of like swaying gliding. down the road, yeah. gliding along. When it, I think Camille first arrives, she sort of looks down that alleyway where they find um, the second body, mm. and just like you can just see them just just drift past them. She's like, "What the fuck is going on? This is such yeah. a creepy town." Um, and then when like she starts to get angry at Camille because she's with Detective Dick, yeah. which is an appropriate name, and the she puts the like the lollipop in her hair. And it's, yeah. she like it's grabs like her hair. Really yeah, aggressive yeah. and such a sisterly 
act, be, though. It is, but it's also really. Let's also remember they don't know each other. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, bitch. That's you don't true. Know that. Yeah, no, I, I think. Well, yeah, when I think of Emma, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no, because in episode three, I was like, oh, I reckon the sister did it because mm-hmm. she was so scary, so so scary. <laughs> And it was interesting because I was like, I was talking to a friend about it and she was like, oh, it's just so awesome to see like a female sociopath. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, have you seen Killing Eve? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's a real good version of a female sociopath. Everyone at home who hasn't already, you should watch it. Definitely. Fantastic show. Um, so I, I liked that element, that complexity of sociopathy in a woman mm-hmm. and how that can be portrayed, how it can be... Um, I guess how it can function and how kind of easy it is for female sociopaths to function in society. Because I actually read, because most sociopaths or diagnosed sociopaths are men. Yeah. Um, but most psychologists agree that's because it's easier for female sociopaths to, to go, in. yeah, to blend in. Yeah. Um. So I, yeah, no. And is I that an emotional intelligence thing or? I don't know. What's I read an article. Of a woman? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think just because if a woman is able to be charming, yeah, um, people are enamored by it. But sometimes a man can just be creepy in a sense. Sure. But if just like any level of charm from a woman, people are like, oh, this is nice. Um, so that could be. It maybe, but I love that. Like before we saw Killing Eve, I was like, "Oh God, I just want an interesting female sociopath." And now I've got two this year. It's amazing. I'm so excited. Representation. I love it. Did you have any sympathy for her, especially like towards the end when oh, I absolutely I wasn't necessarily on the scent that she was the killer at that stage, and just felt very sorry for her position. And yeah, I think I was always just confused. I mean, it wasn't explained until the end when they're like, oh, she must have built up a tolerance. But I was just yeah. kind of trying to figure out, well, if her mum has Munchausen by proxy, but she's never really ill until like the end when she's giving her the like the special mother's milk, the special medicine. Red time. Yeah. Mm. You just call it red time? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So I think, did I feel sorry for her? I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure if I did, weirdly enough. I felt bad for Camille, but I think... I found the character so off-putting the whole time that I don't know if I did feel sorry for her. I think I did. And in particular, that scene she gets right at the end where she mm. goes and visits Adora yeah. in prison and she's still like trying to get through that glass and to touch her and to connect. Mm. And that to me was really tragic. And I just thought, wow, you can see where this pain is and mm. – how you've become so messed up. But, yeah, definitely I felt less sympathy for her once it all came out, especially that (laughs) brutal flash (laughs) (laughs) montage. Mm. Um, But I was really bothered by her, I think it's episode six, um, the party episode where she takes Camille out and Mm – there was this weird, like, sexual. Did anyone else read that into it? Where oh, where she, she was like, passing? oh, when they Kissed. lick each other. Sorry, yes. Cherry yes. episode six. Yeah. Yes. I was like, what are you doing? And there's so many times where she's overly touchy feely mm-hmm. with Camille. Mm-hmm. And I was getting lots of 
vibes. <laughs> um, and I had to keep reminding half sisters that it's yeah. not going to be a thing. But it's you know, allowed, HBO, you yeah. never know. You never know. Yeah, HBO pressure yeah. with that. Well, now. I got like a gay vibe between Camille and her roommate in the totally. hospital. I was like, oh, they go on a fur. There was a shot, and then they didn't. Where it, I think the I can't remember the character's name now. The um, John's girlfriend. Um, oh, and mm. they, she was like wearing a, just like a short dress, Taylor or something. Yeah, and they, she turns to walk away, and what happens is you see the her sort of legs, and then it flashes to Alice. Yes, and my that's my thought I was, was like, like oh, oh, she's into she's gay. Yeah, that's why yeah, I thought yeah, for the yeah. longest time that that was the case. So I don't know and what that she, meant. I mean, she could. I mean, yeah, there's no there's no reason she's not bi either or that's true. Something else, Bisexual but, does exist. That's true. It's ex- a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. <laughs> or somewhere else on there. But I, mm. I'm surprised I didn't lean into it more, I guess. Mm. Um, I thought that's we're going. Someone else suggested that, that that flash was more to do with that she there was the exposed legs, no scars, and that obviously thinks of herself, she can't expose she her can't skin. Yeah. Yeah. And even this other person she saw, that's where she was scarring herself mm. was on the back of her, on her legs as well. Like the, yeah. that was the implication, but I did see it as being like yeah. an attraction. Thing. And I like when I have thoughts like that, I was like, oh, it's just because I'm gay and I just like project that stuff onto things. I was like, I guess female relationships are just that close, but I don't know. No, there's something. Homosexuality comes up a bit in the first episode too. They talk about the previous owners of the bar were two gay guys who moved to the city or whatever. And Mm, you did get that story about the two women who had the baby that were, it was a murder-suicide, maybe it wasn't sort of situation. Mm. And there's a complex relationship. They call people words I'm not going to say on air, but you know, (laughs) gay slurs and stuff like that as well. Mm. And so so there was thematically stuff to make you go, well, is this part of our story with Camille as well? Yeah. Um. With Emma, I just wanted to sort of say... Well done. Thank you. That was pure, <laughs> pure fluke. The Sorry, what? Pure fluke? Pure fluke? Pure fluke. <laughs> the stuffed at the end. That's annoying. Stuck the landing. The uh, the bit where after we find out that... Uh, well, the Adora is taken by the police. Mm-hmm. We sort of get this like little montage of like a happy ending. And I was mm. like... I've had too many shows that end in a bad place. I was really happy to get like a happy ending for these yeah. guys. It was just nice to go get out of the darkness and back yeah. into the light and see this coming into a maybe a bit of a bittersweet ending, but a sweetish ending. This is so good for them. They've <laughs> they've really made it they're work. Showing those that two. she's making friends, they're doing stuff with the dollhouse. Oh. Like, oh, isn't she's gonna She's making responsible friends. Yeah. <laughs> that was not my reaction to the montage at all. So the reveal with the teeth. Did yeah. anyone see that coming at all? The only hint I got of that was when Camille tried to put her hand on that room in the doll's house. She wouldn't let her. And she got batted away and said, oh, I'm not allowed up there even in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is going on there? The Unfortunately, I did know that the doll house was important to like the, like something about the fucking clickbait articles, right? Mm. Twitter, when the episode had released, people were like, what the haunting, what that shot of dollhouse at the end of thing means. So I was like, okay, so there's going to be something about the dollhouse at the end. And when we started finding about the ivory floors, my mind went ivory yeah. teeth. Okay. Yeah, the right. teeth were used to make the, the floor of that room in the dollhouse. Didn't necessarily think specifically that it was a door at the, uh, sorry, not a Dora was Amma at the time. Thought it might've been a Dora had like done it for us somehow. Mm. That's plausible. Yeah, but when it happened, I was like, oh, that's fucked. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so Adora definitely didn't know. No, she might well have known. She might have helped her. Yeah, because when she's so. like, because 
yeah, when the teeth thing first happened and then I remembered Adora being like, well, if you're going to, if you don't need me anymore or whatever, and she starts to take the, the top section of the doll's house away mm. and then um, Amma is just like, no, 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 I want it back, which made me then think back. I'm like, oh, maybe Adora saying oh. like, oh, you don't need my help anymore as in like oh, covering up a crime. Reading. But then the last thing she says is don't tell mama. Yeah, no, so I'm sorry, like, well. No, 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 it was definitely she doesn't know. Yeah. yeah. Which or unless, kind of ruined unless that it, for me. Unless yeah. it was specifically about killing this girl, this third one. No, I don't think she knew. I don't think Because, so. well, uh, yeah. Uh, she may not have. I don't yeah. think it really matters that much ultimately. No, the, the, way. I actually did like that it, I was worried it was going to leave it way too unresolved. That maybe we wouldn't find out. Maybe we'd learn that one of the girls was killed by, but we don't know who the other killer was or something mm. like that. So to get a clear idea of who killed them, but maybe not all of how it all worked didn't bother me at all. Mm. Whether Alan was involved and stuff. Well, I mean, that was when we still thought that Adora was the killer and stuff like that. But Yeah, I think... Like those flashes in the credits, <clears> I was like, yes, I love that I know how mm. she killed those girls. I think by the end of this show... So this, there's a thing that I like to call the revenant effect mm. in which bad things just continue to happen to a character to the point that it just becomes comical to me. Okay. Um, and so I think because we had Camilla, you know, loses a sister and she's, an alcoholic. Camille. She, Camille. Sorry, Camille. And she's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. She self-harms. She was raped. Um, sure. Her, her mother almost tries to murder her. And she's, doesn't love her. Yeah, she's called a... Yeah, doesn't love her. She's a drunk and a slut. Um, all this terrible stuff happens. And then at the end, you know, she get a bit gets a bit of happiness and it's like, oh, no... And your sister's a psychopath who's murdered now three people. I was just like, it ended and I was like, oh, fuck off. You know Where what I mean? Where did she like, go from here? Yeah, exactly. It's like, And it also bothered me because it's kind of like, oh, well, it was, you know, it's really important that you go home and like resolve this, st- work through your issues and then come back and write this really beautiful story. Mm. And then the story isn't even true because mm. of the ending yeah. that we actually get. So I'm just like, well, what the fuck was that about? Why did we do that? Because now the interesting stuff's just about to happen. She's going to have to deal with her sister now. Where Where is that going? I don't know. I was just like, uh, that wasn't a satisfying ending to me uh, at all. Um, yeah, no, fair enough. I can see how that's not satisfying. I, I definitely agree with you that it gets a bit almost ridiculous how mm. sort of- There's a, so much stuff So going much bad on. stuff happens. Yeah. Um, and this was almost like, there's a real tragedy as well to when she tried to help Alice- out, I kind of had, there was more romantic. Oh, that's right. I forgot there. about the Alice thing. Yeah. But like there was a motherly element to that as well. She mm. was sort of trying to, you know, help her through. She was being asked, you know, mm. as an adult, does this get better? And, you know, mm. trying to be supportive in that way and get the iPod play for her. And she sort of failed at being a mum after having a tragically awful mother herself. Yeah. yeah. And then gets this opportunity to save her little sister, be a big sister slash mum to this girl and then find out <laughs> she's fucked. Yeah. You can't be. Yeah. You can't, can't be. Fix that, yeah. You can't fix that either. Um, I think the criticism of, you know, so many terrible, violent things happening to characters and increasingly we seem to be seeing more and more of it on screen rather than it being cutaways. Like mm-hmm. the camera will just like engage with that and force you to mm. look or look away. Mm-hmm. I, I've sort of, uh, there's this one quote that I did read about 
violence on screen and why we kind of seek it out, which I thought was kind of interesting if you yeah, go want for to it. hear it. Um, we cannot help wondering what dying and extreme pain are like. So we observe them in reality or in an evocative depiction. We vicariously join the sufferer until we reach our limit of vicarious endurance. This is the dynamic of identification. Tentatively place yourself in the sufferer's position, then draw back and reflect and perhaps repeat. So the idea being that, yeah, you're empathetically joining that character because there's this fascination with pain and mm. like experiencing the human condition f- as fully as you possibly can. I think that's a lot to do with horror mm. as a genre and maybe even not necessarily like physical depictions of violence, but it's emotional violence that we seem to have a fascination with as well. I don't know. I, that certainly resonated with me in terms of this show and what it was trying to do. And like Camille, we love dead girls. We do yeah. love mm. dead girls. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, it's that's an interesting quote. I think. Yeah, I'm. I I can understand that, but I often wonder how much empathy, um, whether it be physical or emotional violence, does actually elicit in. Mm. People, I'm especially in some horror thing, yeah. it's almost like Do you sport think you reach to watch capacity people, and then it's just white noise. I, I mean, I certainly think that's an aspect to it, but I also think um, sometimes I'm not sure if it is empathy or if it's tapping into something a little bit more sadistic than that. It's voyeuristic like voyeuristic, even yeah, voyeuristic. That's probably a better word in which you just want to see. Mm. a horrible thing Mm -hmm. and you don't I mean I am a very empathetic person it's hard for me like I can't even watch live television because it stresses me out because I'm stressed (laughs) you can't watch Sacha Baron Cohen no I I will never be able to watch that um (laughs) so I I find horror movies incredibly hard because I do actually empathize with the people suffering Mm -hmm. in it and so it's almost which should be interesting when I watch The Nun (laughs) (laughs) um so it's very hard for me to watch so I, I yeah I'm not sure if people are empathizing truly with what's going on on screen, have you, I guess. Have you watched the Conjuring films just out of interest when it comes to the nun and stuff like that? I think my brother made me watch the first one. This one's good. I watched it through my fingers. Yeah. Like I watch all horror movies and then a lot of the times just eyes closed and I asked him to tell me when things were over. That quote was primarily about horror, right? And sort yeah, of the horror it genre. is. Because mm. it's interesting because there's, uh, there's almost two versions of it. I'd say some, a film like Hereditary is a sort of an empathetic you, I, you, that's where your engagement comes from because these horrible things happen to people that aren't necessarily horrible, right? But I think the quote's not even necessarily about empathy. It is just about wanting to confront what is this like to get this close to mm. something as horrific as that. What does that feel like for me? I don't want to actually experience this in the flesh, but I'm going to get as close as I can otherwise yeah, right. to be able to then... A safe space to yeah. experience that sense of fear sensorial excess yeah yeah where it was like we're naturally uh, human beings would feel quite a bit but we don't because we live in our little safe cocoons yeah yeah yeah, that's interesting there's there's almost the i just think of um cabin in the woods it's sort of its comment on the idea of like slasher horror films anyway almost like a way of punishing youth and there's almost a sport in sort of cheering on the death of the jock Mm -hmm. and the death of the slut and the death of the virgin and like those sorts of things as well the virgin doesn't die in those films but you know those that idea as well i mean it's another version of fables really yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. the archetypes that Mm. 
Must die. But just the, it's almost like you cheer on the killer in those ones. Um, it's not necessarily about experiencing yourself. It's just like watching. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people who love horror films almost like their comedies. Like, yeah, they're totally. so extreme. Oh, yeah, yeah. my God. Oh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm so scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> different. And there's a lot of different yeah. sorts of horror, though. And the, actually, there's been some interesting discussions online, getting way off track here, about like whether Hereditary is a horror film. Like, what constitutes a horror film? Which is a really boring discussion. How about just a film that terrifies you can be yeah. classified as a horror? That, that mm. works pretty well, psychologically or viscerally. Okay, let's move on to final thoughts. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Does anyone have any side notes apart from myself? I only have the one, really. No, I don't think so. Recently, there was a video getting around on the internet. There was about there was a montage of times in movies and TV shows where people hang up phones without saying goodbye. Mm. You know oh, how yeah. that annoys them. Yeah. There's a little moment in episode two that reminds me of something like that. Something that annoys me in film and television when it happens. When people have food prepared to eat, they sit down to eat it, barely or don't at all touch it, and then walk away having not eaten their food. Like, they sit down to have breakfast, have a three-sentence conversation, then go, oh, time to go by, and just leave the food sitting there. Fucking eat your meal. Eat your breakfast. What's <laughs> yeah. wrong with you? Or take it to go. Take it to go. Do something. <laughs> don't just leave. You had one bite yeah. of that piece of toast. Yeah. You put it down left. Oftentimes, like when, I'm, like, when I'm watching, like, either a film or TV show, I am thinking, like... God, I wish there was like just more footage of people putting stuff into Tupperware and yeah. then slowly driving to work and then arriving then at work and then like microwaving it and then sitting in their office and eating it. My pet hate I need is more of that. Empty cups. <laughs> like people That's taking just... drinks from things that are like clearly empty. I'm gonna oh, start yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, an Instagram called Empty Cups of Hollywood. I love it. Do it. That's a great idea. <laughs> and it's just going to be gifts of like, Bro, people. Bro, take that out of the podcast. Someone's going to steal it. <laughs> it's a million dollar idea. We've got it recorded. So if anyone does, copyright, copyright, copyright. That's how Hunting copyright works. Yeah. I'm just saying it a million times. 2018. Um, a point was brought up to me the other day by a friend, um, and I didn't have an answer for it. So maybe you guys do. Yeah. the question was why did Camille offer herself up to be poisoned couldn't she have just left and got the police yeah at one point I was wondering whether she was like didn't know how to get the thing out of there maybe she puts it in herself goes and gets a blood yeah. tested tries to figure out what it is that she's poisoned with I think it's got more to do with her as I said regression to this sort of childlike well, it's child like logic of like I need to be the proof. I yeah. need to mm. embody an undeniable. Uh, did you think she collapsed as a way to protect? Yeah, Anna, yeah, right. Yeah, totally. So that had nothing to do with nothing. They put in her food or anything like no, that. No. It wasn't stress or anything. She's just like, oh, mom, help me, please, and then offered herself up to basically take the attention off Amma for yeah, a while. She <laughs> knew that that would be an immediate trigger for Adora. Right, and then once that happened. She was just debilitated by the thing. The thing, yeah. She tried to get Amara out. That didn't work. Because Amara didn't want to go. Amara didn't want to go. Um, yeah. So my question is like with Amara being taken upstairs, she mm. could have just left and went and got the cops. She was. I think she was worried that Amara was so sick that, that she might not last if that happened. Yeah. Right. That's, okay. it is, you're right though. It is interesting. It does feel like all of a sudden there's a ticking clock. Like mm. something's a... She's worried yeah, that something's about to happen, but we don't necessarily understand why she feels that way. Why does she feel like Adora is going to go too far now? No, what is yeah. the 
trigger for that yeah. to be the case. And I think you're right. It's not really there. I can't explain it fully. I think the best explanation is that she offers herself up to try and protect Amma. Mm. That plan doesn't work. Luckily, the her family back in St. Louis mm. are smart her enough. Real her real family mm. are smart enough to detect that there's something, there's some danger, yep. and get there to save the day right at the end. Which again feeds into my frustration that it wasn't really Camille's victory at the end. Mm. No. Um, but I suppose puts you in a place to be like, oh, she's yeah. fucked. She's hopeless at this stage. She's yeah. Gone. I kind of wish it had ended a bit like Get Out, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I 100%. I was waiting for her to fight back. I was waiting for her to like push the thing away. I was waiting for that conflict. That being said, also, if she did fight against Adora, right, what's she going to do? Like, she, say she kills her, all of a sudden she has to prove to an entire town that adores this woman or has been at least subservient to her mm. that that's that she deserved to be dead, that it was self-defense. There's all these... I mean, blood tests will do that, the amount of stuff in Adora's bathroom and also you would think so yeah. <clears throat> i don't know adora's got away with this for a long time i think there's i think you're right to say that it's a little bit weird how it ends yeah that's fair favorite and least favorite episode uh, uh hannah you can go first Ooh, okay De- um, hannah go least, for it least favorite episode least that's just, favorite episode just putting the initial before the first name in that one d hannah d hannah I think that my least favorite episode was probably um, episode six, Cherry. Um, is that the one I yep, mean? Yep, that is episode six. That's yeah. the one where they go to the party, um, sort of Camille is hanging out with Amma and... Yeah. yeah. That's the one. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. Yep. Um, I liked them all. Honestly, they're kind of... Because I watched them in fairly quick succession and Mm. didn't take notes under each heading. They did kind of blur into one. But there was something about this that was a little bit um, adrift for me, I think. That's a good way of putting it. Um, And, yeah, I just really wasn't sold on what Amma was doing. She was starting to – that kind of sexual tension thing. I was like, where is this going? Mm. I'm bothered by it. I was worried sad it didn't end with them fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I I got that sense the show could unravel. Like it was starting to get to a point. This is going to turn to like a psychological mess that doesn't really have a cohesive ending. That worried me at that point. Yeah. And look, maybe it was also just feeling worried for Camille as well. Like Mm -hmm. feeling a bit stressed Mm. about God, what is going to happen to her? Like she's being led down. A potentially it felt dangerous and I think rightfully so like in context of the whole series yes that was a a dangerous place for her to be and she was you know with the killers all night maybe this is within text but I was at times getting a little bit annoyed with Camille's passiveness like going along yeah. with Amma taking the pill getting into the car and it being obvious they weren't going to take her home straight away when they get there saying it's just gonna be five minutes like all of those things where she's just sort of playing along and then even when she starts drinking like she's pretty aware at this point that yeah she uh, knows what she puts into her body and- yeah and uh, and I think there are ways to get there that she has been sort of regressed into this teenage self this childlike state around her mother and her family at that point but i i, I did frustrate me a little bit that she became so yeah. passive in her own story at that point and that someone mm. else curry had to come and say as much as i was happy to see curry it wasn't really her doing at that point mm. um to, she, she didn't resolve this story for herself that makes sense Having said that, though, like it was a beautiful episode in mm. terms of its cinematography. I think there was some really interesting stuff going on with um, <clears throat> the music and 
yeah, like a lot of the word flashes were really cleverly done in that episode as well. But mm. yeah, a little bit frustrating. Least favorite episode, Damask? Um, so my least favorite episode, oh, yes. I think I'm going to have to go with Cherry as well. I didn't really have a least favorite episode. Mm. But Hannah did convince me. I was like, yeah, no, sure, I'll go with that one. Um, I think, yeah, at that point, we were coming to the end of the season. Yeah, it felt a little uh, meandering, I guess. But it it wasn't a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination. I 100% agree. It it was my least favorite episode as well. I think in retrospect, if I watched it again, understanding what Amma is, what Yeah, I think it's going to be a much more interesting episode on the rewatch. But at the time, I did feel like... Why are we here? Shouldn't mm. we be somewhere else? Shouldn't we be heading more towards the ending at this point? Um, it kind of felt like it was, yeah, treading its wheels mm-hmm. or treading water. And um, yeah, I, I was exactly the same way. Again, not a bad episode, but no. just one that didn't fully engage me the way that some other episodes did. What about your favorite episode, Hannah? I loved the first episode. It had me hooked straight away. Vanish was excellent. Mm-hmm. It just really. Um, hooked me in straight away. I loved the editing. I loved the look of the whole show. Um, I knew that it was something I wanted to keep watching straight away. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Very good. Damask? Mine's going to be episode seven, Falling. Um, I think because I was so invested at that point with the dynamics between the three women in the family. And so obviously the coming out of it being Munchausen syndrome by proxy, Mm -hmm. uh, Camille realising that the – conversation and confrontation with Jackie I found mm, I like really captivating and so so good um and I just felt like we were coming to the point of everything's going to like clash together I was excited by the episode I was fascinated by it um yeah so I think for me that was the height of the season was that penultimate episode I was somewhere between episode 7 and 8 actually <laughs> and while I agree with you that episode Eight, that little, like, why is Camille doing what she's doing sort of thing? And even my mm. criticisms about that she doesn't really get to have her own victory there. Um, the Because the build-up, the great thing about Seven was that build-up to that moment where she went mm. back to the house. Mm. And then I was really satisfied when she walked into that door. Because that had been foreshadowed as well in the past. You look back on those um, scenes between her and um, her younger sister. I can't remember her name. Marion. Yeah, Marion. They constantly return to that, like, creeping up the staircase, crossing the threshold of the house. So they've built you up to that moment deliberately to have that, like, sense of trepidation and Mm -hmm. stress. Just, yeah, the the sitting down at that table, the obvious Camille knows and then Adora knows that Camille knows and then how that all is playing out. The danger there was so palpable. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. And then, as I said, I even enjoyed sort of like the trick happy ending. I thought that was, I was on board for all. I, th- mm. I, I was satisfied it as a conclusion. Yeah. Seven did a really good job of getting us there though. I think you're hundred mm. percent right. And that, I love the show. When the show's got two reveals, there's the Adora reveal and there's the Amma reveal, obviously. But the Adora reveal felt like, cool, you're letting me know this in advance so that I can enjoy What's going to happen next? You're not going to get to the end and go, it was Adora the whole time, but they did it with Amma. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I think that's why I don't like it. Yeah. But yeah, and maybe why. But like, I I appreciated being able to know and just like really, in, and even when mm-hmm. he, when Dick finds out instantly, I think immediately after that, the finding out, getting the diagnosis from the nurse, mm. there's a scene with Adora and just like instantly everything she's doing plays differently once you know that. Yeah, I think so like great. the, well, they, the yeah. second half of episode eight is probably like my least favorite part of the show 
I don't like it. The the after the stuff. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, predictions, hopes, or concerns for season two? Well, it's not going to happen. Don't so. just don't make it. I think they're like yeah. Don't do it. It sounds like it's not happening. Yeah. But money and success can do weird things to a studio, particularly in America. And particularly yeah. in America. Um, you know, another show based on a book. Just uh, tell another story. Yeah, mm. agree. Do another one, right? Do do a different story. But like Big Little Lies is getting didn't have a sequel book. They're turning into a sequel book. Mm. To into a sequel series. So mm. things happen. Please don't. Don't do it. Don't But if they do do it, they should do what Big Little Lies did and cast Meryl Streep. <laughs> that, that always helps. <laughs> that helps. I, you, I'm still really I'm really worried about End of the Fucking World. Is getting a second season. Yeah, I, I'm, it's a, have I you think seen that's a that? Shame. No, you need I have to watch not. That. It's really good. It's pretty great. Okay, I think that will do it for tonight. We've mm-hmm. done a nice two-hour-long episode. Sorry, everybody, uh, but I think it was a really good discussion. And thank you very much, Hannah, for coming on the show. Thank really, you so much for having me. Really appreciate your You're welcome perspective and your very <laughs> well-articulated thoughts and what you brought to the show. We will definitely have you on in the future. So if you have any shows coming up that you're particularly interested or fascinated in, let us know as well. Uh, the Bachelor. We'll book you in. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's do a Bachelor I episode. I retract my invitation. <laughs> uh, it'll just be me and Hannah. Then that's fine. <laughs> you want to start your Actually, own Bachelor you know podcast? What? You're Go not ahead. invited. <laughs> Go right ahead. I'll have the week off. You guys can have a little bachelor. Uh, I can't wait for us to discuss the mise en scene. Of the bachelor. <laughs> Look, I'd Look, want the that job. Five hundred candles really symbolise. Shit, yeah. The sh- like the roses were another sharp object. Mm. No, it's wrong show. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work come from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Uh, our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at maskymu, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Hannah. Can you pe- cannot find me. I'm a teacher. Please leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> well put. To all her students out there, you can find her at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next episode, we'll be back. Well, Damascus and I will be back to discuss Bojack Horseman season five. <gasps> I'm so looking forward yes. to that. And it's good that we've, I just feel really happy that we've caught up, like got through those four seasons. I'm so excited. We're up to date with yeah. the entire world. It comes out for us. It's currently Wednesday. I think it comes out like sure. Friday or Saturday here in Australia. No idea. And we can just binge that on the weekend. Frick yes. I'm looking forward to it. So we'll talk about that next week. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. See ya. Why is this still going? Uh, Harry Potter like, prologue. Why? Yeah. I liked it. We have yeah. no, 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 famously oh, have different opinions <laughs> on the prologue. You know, I was just like, the story's over. Harry Potter world. Oh, God. Oh, we did God. not talk. Of it. Waiting in line for Ollivanders did not talk for about 30 minutes after a little bit of a fight about that. That's right. Broad and I had a fight about Harry Potter years ago. Did speak for about four years. So it's fine. We've all been there with Broad. When you, remember when you read the... Oh, yeah. 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 You didn't talk to me for four years because of that? No, like we had a fight about it and then like I guess the friendship just dissolved. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Steph knows about this, but just so people know. You can't say, believe no, this is great. This is great context. The the we I managed before uh Deathly Hallows came out, mm. someone had got an early copy, scanned okay. and put it online. And so I was reading it like three or four days before it was officially released. I can see where this is going and, and I'm not every, on your side. I didn't spoil anyone, oh, okay. nothing like that, but people were annoyed with me that I was reading it before. I them. was morally opposed to it. 
I still bought the book day one. Actually, went and no, got it, did I everything. remember this this controversy. <laughs> you are no, no. What's wrong with that? I'm a slow reader. I just wanted to make sure that I was in a position where I wasn't gonna get spoiled. I read it a little early. I didn't spoil it to anybody else. I just made sure that I could fin- I was have it done on day one because I'd been spoiled in the past. I found out about Sirius's death. I found out about Dumbledore's death ahead of Poor time. Poor you. Yes. What? What? Who was being harmed by me reading the book early? J.K. Matt's- Rowling. What? I bought the book still. No one was hurt. It's I, a victimless crime. There's no such thing. No, I think you're just encouraging pirating. I bought the book. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. 